Whether you're buying benches, bread makers, or bottles of bubble bath, paying for business expenses with an Amex Blue Business Cash Card can be rewarding. You'll earn 2% cash back as a statement credit on your first $50,000 in purchases per year at 1% after that. So you get rewarded for getting what you need for your business. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Cash. Amex Blue Business Cash. Built for business by American Express. Stockholm, Sweden. That's where Jorgen's from. Stockholm. All right, we've opened up the chat room in Spreaker, which means Bill WD-40 can come on in and lube us on up for tonight's show. So that way it goes nice and smooth. You know how it goes. The Super Chat is open. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you so, so much. And, of course, you can do some shopping at spacedoutradio.com. And don't forget... Las Vegas, May 19th to 21st, 2023, the second annual fan party. We want all of you there. The Golden Nugget is excited to have us. We're already talking to them, talked with them today. They're pumped. We're pumped. We need you to be pumped and show on up. Horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor and hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. we got a wonderful show for you tonight. Our guest, Sarah Grace, is here to talk about psychic intuition and what it's like to help people going through trauma as she's a 15-year vet of being a paramedic. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Then in hour number three, I'm going to bring you a story from the swamp as well as Super Duke will be here for the Cryptid Report, and it's Dave 101 night. Where will I go? Hell, I don't even know as of yet. All right, let's get to it. We got a power show, like I was saying. Sarah Grace has used her psychic abilities while working as a paramedic in the busy California 911 system for over 15 years. Helping countless people through extreme crisis and death, she became a specialist in physical and energetic support during people's worst moments. Sarah is now a best-selling author, sought-after speaking and renowned intuitive healer who bridges the mainstream with energetic and holistic worlds. If that doesn't sound exciting, I don't know what does. Sarah Grace, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, everybody. 
Well, we want to get going here right off the bat because you are someone who has, you know, kind of seen some of the darkest moments of humanity through being a paramedic. And and I got to ask you in regards to that, you know, how did you get started or or using your own psychic abilities to help you with with your uh your abilities to help people as well, not only on a psychic sense, but during some of their worst times in their life. My journey to uh, utilizing my abilities in the 911 system was a long one. So I was raised in South Dakota in the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere in a very small town pre-internet. So there was not a lot of outside connection. And my family situation was very unstable and I didn't have a lot of support structure. But when I was seven, one day I woke up and I could just start to see auric fields and colors around people. So it all began for me at the age of seven and increased over weeks and months to where I could feel their feelings or kind of, you know, sense thoughts and I could see disease in people's bodies and eventually began to progress into being able to see spirit. And when I finally came forward and said something to my family, you know, because I'm just a kid trying to like be normal like anybody. Um, unfortunately, I was met with the hellfire and brimstone, you know, the fear, like, don't ever talk about this, we'll send you away. And so just being a little kid out in the middle of nowhere, just wanting to fit in, be accepted, like I, you know, I developed a sense of toxic shame at that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I like this? Nobody else is like this. So that really began um, a long odyssey for me where uh, I tried many things to get the sensitivities and abilities to go away. And after my mom died, when I was 17, I got out of high school, I kind of went off the rails. So for me, it was drugs and alcohol and just looking to cope, looking to compensate, looking for a sense of safety and power, you know, and trying the best I could to diminish this heightened sensitivity that's always been. So for my experience, I had a near death experience and that was really my, we can talk more about that. But ultimately in that near death experience, I was given the option and I obviously chose to stay incarnated. And I was told like, if you choose to stay, like you're actually going to be able to help a lot of people. And so stayed incarnated, cleaned up my life, eventually became a paramedic. And then the ability started working with me on the 911 calls. And it was honestly nothing I was trying to do. I was still very closeted and fearful at the time. But over the years, being in these like extremely violent and chaotic scenes and being in those moments of death with people like time after time after time, I started to see how these abilities they weren't bad, you know, and they were actually coming in really, really handy. They were really helpful in some of these uh, moments. And so that kind of opened the door for me to become educated. Once you open up that door, there are so many different ways life can go. And, and for you, how did you know that this was something that you needed to do? Was it that near death experience and what spirit was telling you or, or was it your own, your own inner feelings that really made you feel that there's more to this than just living and breathing? Yeah. So since I was very young, seven, I've just had this very strong sense of knowing and my, all of my data comes in here on the left side. And for me, I've just always had this strong sense of purpose around 
like these abilities, but I was, you know, I went through what I went through around the fear. So it's both part one. I had kind of this intuitive knowing um, that there's more and that it was almost like this longing to be able to discover how to, you know, utilize these abilities and like make it work for me in, in day-to-day life. That's fantastic. So let's go back to when you were a little girl here, because I think that's kind of interesting. You, you, you're for all you know, are the first one in your family to have these psychic intuitive, intuitive abilities. And, and, you know, when you started noticing what was going on, that you were a little bit different, you know, you mentioned that your family kind of, you know, got a little upset because I mean, look, there's a lot of families who don't want that in their family. I know my family is like that, you know, and that, and that breeds down from my mother's side of being a, a coming from a very highly Christian sect of the Mennonite church. Okay. So, I mean, and yet we all know my mother was psychic. Or is she just, you know, she just knew things that nobody should know, Uh, but it was never really talked about, you know, so for you growing up, having this ability and then having to tune it out, I mean, what was that like for you? Oh, it was torturous. So not having an understanding of why um, my perception was so intense and just really being able, for me, my primary is clairvoyance. So really being able to see the, you know, the general fields of emotion and, you know, medical, so whatever, just being able to see and then feeling so deeply, it was just being awash in this like really intense experience and then not having safety or structure or like backing or support it, I really, you know, was was in a spot where I uh, I was obviously, you know, needing some help and, and support. And it's been so amazing. Like, I, I get it now, like looking back how I went through everything that I went through to prime me to be able to go into the service of the 911 system and get into those really dark crevices like some of the darkest aspects of the human condition and humanity, I was primed for that growing up, but it wasn't um, a fun experience. You know, fortunately now we have, you know, internets and it's so much more, there's so much more knowledge available and it's, I think so much more socially accepted than when we were growing up. Oh, very true. And I think these younger generations coming up, like my kids' age, probably your children's age, they are way more open to finding their own oh, spiritual yeah. path and their own spiritual personality. I mean, <laughs> it makes life a lot easier. You have put all of your experiences into a a book that's out right now that can be found on your website, mm-hmm. sarahkgrace.com, called Journey into mm-hmm. Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. Why did you feel it was important to take all of these stories that you grew up with and all of these stories that you found during your professional career into a book for people? So I kind of had, again, this knowing and I went through my rebellious phase and I didn't want anything to do with it. And then I became a paramedic and I still didn't want anything to do with the abilities, but they just started working through me on these calls. And then I went through all of these experiences of death and trauma where I was able to see like so many things um, that a lot of people in the day-to-day life, like, you you know, oftentimes you don't experience, you don't want a lot of people have never seen somebody die, you know, and what that looks like physically and energetically, what happens in those moments. 
So intuitively, I had always kind of known that I had kind of a dharma with bridging the mainstream and the energetic and holistic world. I just had to go through my own kind of reckoning and coming to terms with and becoming empowered with my own abilities before I could get to the point where then I could put it into form. And so I got to tell you, though, so in in the 911 system, it's all out type A, like alpha male, right? Uh, SWAT dudes and, and cops and fire. And like, I loved it. I, I I really fit in in that. And so even in the first, you know, probably eight years of being in the field time, I still didn't want to say anything about it. I still didn't want to be the weird, you know, girl who sees dead people because I'm around, I'm finally socially accepted. I'm finally in this esteemed position. And I didn't, I was scared to compromise that, but people could feel it on scene, even though I didn't have an understanding at the time of what it was that I was actually doing. I was just kind of intuitively being led and just, like my experience on a 911 call is that everything would slow down and very much like matrix, matrix, like it would crystalline. And my tell for death was always tasting metal. And so everything would just expand and the time would slow down. I'd go into this um, experience where I would know what was going to happen two or three paces before it did. And it became this really beautiful orchestra or orchestrated symphony in the middle of this really chaotic event. So ultimately over time, once I got proficient and I finally got educated in the skills and I had some kind of understanding and semblance, then my my guides were like, okay, now you got to write this book. And so honestly, I was still really scared because it was like all my, you know, shadow material and stuff was in there. And I was like, oh, I don't want to put this out there, you know, but intuitively it was like, it's time, put it out. And I'm so grateful that I did now because there's just a lot of people that are resonating, you know? How much was that like a weight off your chest to put these stories out there? Because it's one thing to sit there and talk about them. Like I've talked about my own events, my own stories on this show numerous times, but until you put pen to paper and you really start to really feel the emotion of those stories, once again, that you want to bring, bring to light and into the public, it's a totally different game. How did you react to that? It was like giving birth to a porcupine, to be honest with you. Like at one point I was just, I'm banging my head on the table next to my computer because I didn't want to put everything in there. But my intuition, my guides were like everything, like put everything in there and all my shadow, all my trauma, like with what I did as a result of the toxic shame and not having a sense of safety and power and not understanding and wanting to fit in. So all of that's in there. It was a very arduous experience going through the the writing process because I had to relive a lot of the trauma that I went through as, as a child, in addition to like all of the different 911 calls that were pretty intense. So it was, it was, it was quite the process <laughs> to write. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, there had to be a lot of, a lot of uh, tears. There had to be a lot of anger. There had to be a lot of well-built up emotions that maybe you didn't even know you had at that point. Oh yeah. Like it was, it was quite the odyssey, you know, to be honest with you, like it started to channel out and it came out pretty in just in a, a couple of months time. Once I sat down to actually write it, it was really like a channeling experience. And that said, I was still wrestling with, 
I hadn't fully come out, you know, and I was still pretty closeted, even though I'd started to talk to more people and started to get more educated. I wasn't like way out in the public and like willing to be like, oh, yeah, this is how I am. And so I knew that that was going to be part of it. And I was there was still a lot of fear and vulnerability around that for me. Right. Right. And I can, and I can see that, you know, did you, when you were going through this and choosing the stories that you wanted to put into this book, you know, did it cause you nightmares? Did some of these spirits that you helped come back to help you write it? How did that go for you? I think it was predominantly my, my primary guides um, that I've have been present with me since uh, I was a child and I'm just very familiar in them and how they feel and kind of the impress that I get from them. Um, I have had, you know, because I've seen a lot of death and experienced a lot of trauma when there's a lot of different ways to die. And we'll talk about, you know, we can get into like what it looks like in like a medical or an expected death versus a traumatic death and what the soul goes through in those moments. And, and a lot of times if it was like a violent death or there was um, dark, a lot of darkness on scene or whatever, sometimes that would follow me home or the person was really confused and they didn't understand that they were dead. And at the time, early in my career, I didn't have the skill set or tools to be like, yo, like, I'm not on duty, you're dead, go to the, you know, I didn't understand how to how to work with that and what to do with it. So I, you know, from an early age, I felt very kind of victimized and traumatized by my sensitivities and being this way. And then again, when I got into the 911 system and everything was so vivid in, in the, those extreme life and death moments, I had kind of that, um, it was like another round of kind of feeling like overwhelmed a little bit, traumatized and victimized by it. But I, I tried to quit a couple of times and I was like, yeah, there's no way I can do this, man. This is just way too intense. But again, I've just always had this knowing. And after my near-death experience, like when I was in that expanded state and I got to that point where they were like, okay, if you come any further, you know, you're not going to be able to go back. And very eloquently, and this is way back in when I was like 19 or 20 and I had an overdose and I was in a, in a totally different state. I would just want, didn't want anything to do with any of this. It was just too intense. And when I was in that state, there was this very beautiful uh, female voice and she was just like, we get hard, you know, this is definitely a challenging path. And if you choose to come back, you're going to help a lot of people with this. So that was kind of how I chose to come back. It's just funny because I was like thinking that, oh, I chose to come back. So the spirit's going to lay out all the steps to like how you do it, you know, and that wasn't the case. I still had to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do a lot of healing. How much internal strength did that cause you or how much internal strength did you need to do that? It had every ounce of everything that I had, you know, and I, I really feel that. I understand now that the violence and chaos and instability of my upbringing in combination with the uh, high sense perception was kind of my training ground so that I could go into these spaces. But having access to this much like data and being able to go into such extreme, like these are like some of the most extreme 
um, frequencies like on the planet in the human condition and being able to go into those over and over and over and over again required everything that I had internally. And there was, like I said, I, for a long time, I battled with the fear of it, not knowing if I could handle it, um, not wanting, just not wanting to deal with it or, or face it or, or do it, but it was never really an option for me. Like I couldn't, regardless of the, all these different substances and all these different things that I was doing when I was young, just trying to like feel okay and feel safe. The, it, the stimulus never went away for me. It was always present. And so it's just been part of my world for a long, long time. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, let's let's be honest. It's it's an absolute different world. In order to uh, kind of put all all this stuff together, I mean, you are someone who has really, really, you know, battled with your own, you know, questions regarding this. Is is there anything out there that that spooks you or scares you about what you've seen? At this point, not anymore. Um, you know. I find personally that when you are familiar with death and you really have a deep understanding of darkness, um, how both in like the human psyche and condition and then just in the dualistic paradigm of spirit, um, the more firsthand experience I've had with all of that, then it's really just like you get in, you figure it out, you know, like you get into that space and and you figure it out. And so over time, at this stage anyway, um, I've been kind of doing this this walk in between worlds for a long, long time. So I don't have fear as much. Oh, I don't have fear anymore. I have a lot more curiosity, you know, even if something that comes in that's really kind of like gnarly or dark or like scary that, you know, um, I have a lot of curiosity because I, I find that to be an opportunity for wisdom. Okay. I'm going to ask you, what is the curiosity? What is still making you after all these years curious about your own abilities and connections? Well, it's really an infinite spectrum, you know, and I'm just so grateful now because being where I started where here, I thought I was this lone weirdo. Right. And I, that I was like this only person like this. And now all these years later, I have this understanding that like, you know, 15 to 20% of the world's population is energetically sensitive. This episode is brought to you by Snickers. You sent a message to your group text that said it's game day even though your team has a bye week. Off your game? Maybe you just need a Snickers. Snickers, official chocolate bar sponsor of the NFL. This episode is brought to you by Stuart Weitzman. Every woman deserves to celebrate her strength, her confidence, her power, her courage. And there's no better way to do so than with Stuart Weitzman, in shoes that quite literally lift you up. The fall collection brings new boots, booties, and sandals as bold as the women who wear them, all designed so every woman can stand strong wherever she goes. To learn more and shop now, visit stuartweitzman.com. We all have the psychic or the intuitive, and then there's this whole spectrum. You know, there's 1.6 billion of us. And it's once I heard that, I was like, oh my God, you know? I'm not this lone weirdo. There's so many of us. And now we have platforms like this where we can all come together and just have educated dialogues and share experiences 
And so to me, I'm just really excited to like be able to have these kinds of conversations and like share, you know, like, oh, what do you do in this situation? Or what do you do in that situation? Because over all these, all these years, I've kind of been developing these different protocols for whichever scenario arises, you know? All right. Well, let's take you back into the hot seat as we got about 90 seconds to go here before we go to break. And your answer may have to carry over after the break. But let's put you on the hot mm-hmm. seat here. I mean, here you are a paramedic. You have all of these psychic abilities. You know, what did your colleagues think? Did you tell them? They didn't know. They didn't know, but they could feel um, that something was different. So number one, I was always the paramedic who was there for death, always. And number two, I was the paramedic who was there for the most extreme circumstance. So everybody loved working with me because we would get all the crazy calls. But tell me when my time's up. Oh, you got about a minute. Continue. Okay. But essentially, um, they could feel the, whether it be the temperature or of the room shifting, or they could just sense that something else was happening on scene when I was there. And so there was more of a like, what are you doing? You know? And I was like, I don't know. Cause at the time I didn't, I honestly didn't know. I didn't have the education or the tools to like be able to verbalize it to them. But they knew. They knew they could, they could feel it. And sometimes they could actually hear the energy shift or the on scene. There was one time um, we had a a young, it was a 30 year old dad. He coughed and the side of his neck blew out. So he had an aneurysm, right? He drops dead right in front of his, his wife and two kids. And so we come on scene. It's very, very volatile. Everybody's screaming. It was just mayhem. And this energy came from over my shoulder blades, nothing I was trying to do, but my guides were essentially, they took the temperature of the room and literally went, and it was audible. And I'll never oh, forget wow. as long as I live that the firefighters were snapped their heads and were like, what is that? I'll leave it right there. Sarah K. Grace.com is her website. Grab her latest book, Journey into Grace, Real Life Psychic, or Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. We're going to get more into her abilities when we return on Spaced Out Radio next. Your energy is fantastic. Thank you. It's been earned, man. I've been burned to the ground so many times in this <laughs> in this life. I'm just kind of like, I'm just here. I'm just here to serve at this point. Have a good time. Oh, this know? this is a great show. This is a great show. I am so thankful that you're here. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. So you have radio ads running, or what? What are you doing? Uh, they're running. The radio stations will run the ads. I just hang out, you know, say hi to people in the chat room and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of monitor everything. Mm -hmm. Do what I normally do, which is nothing. How wonderful that you have this. This is beautiful. Look how many people are here. Yeah, I uh, built it from scratch. I remember eight years ago we were... Getting 10, 12, 15, 17, 9 listeners a night. And now this goes out to seven ra- or six, seven radio stations, um, three internet <laughs> stations, all the podcast networks, YouTube, Twitch. You know, it's it expanded a little bit, which is kind of cool. That's so great. It's so needed. 
it's just the ability to want to talk to people because uh oh look at javier here watching while doing my very last final what's the final on javier or is it javier no you're a javier that's a good catcher's name you, you Javier Almanza, that does that not say Major League Baseball catcher right there? Right. Oh, I bet you that guy could pick off somebody at second like nothing. That's a compliment, by the way. <laughs> Nathan from the Quantum Show, how you doing? Good to have you back. <laughs> uh, development and globalization, very cool. Care to mention which school you're going to, bud? We'll find out. He's got to got to wait mm-hmm. through the delay. Oh, hi, D. Swiger. How are you? Oh, UC Berkeley. Congratulations, my friend. One oh, more test. One yeah. more test. Let's get her done. Yay. Wrap it on up. Get you graduated. That's awesome. Congratulations, Javier. Mm-hmm. Let's see. This is awesome. We Runa from says hello, Sarah from Australia. I see that. Hello. Mm. Figgy Pot said hello earlier. Thank you. Oh yeah. I love you. See Berkeley. That's true. That's true, Marty. <laughs> Where are you? Are you UC Berkeley as well? No, but it was in the Bay Area, very close to where I lived in the Sacramento area. So only an hour and a half away. So I'm very familiar with Berkeley. And they right. had a really old school, great psychic institute there. Hello, Mama Susan. How are you? Mm-hmm. DC. Hi, yeah. D. Cohen. Yeah, that's our constable right there. Nice. Love him. Yeah. How? You know what? We have a lot of our listeners, uh, and, and you and your hubby, if you want, May 19th through 21st, 2023, we are having our second annual Spaced Out Radio fan party at the Golden Nugget Woo! in Las Vegas. And Crazy. You guys are You guys are more than welcome to come. It is uh, It's a three-day event where we're going to have just hang out with our fans. And we're going to play some poker. We're going to have a few drinks. We're going to do a a seven-hour live YouTube show uh, with our special guest. Thin Lizzie Borton is going to be there along with her husband's beard. The husband can't come. Gary can't come. But the beard can. You know, so, (laughs) yeah, Gary's beard is phenomenal. I'm very jealous of that one. Very jealous. And uh, we're going to have a bunch of people there. You You guys should come. That sounds amazing. That sounds super, super fun. And now that's going to be your first annual. And I got a couple of questions about when. Oh, it's your second. Yes. Deb from SAC, I was in Folsom. And there was another person uh, that was Dave asking about Davis and Sacramento areas. So I ran 911. I started in South Central Los Angeles. We'll talk about this. But then I was in um, Sacramento area for a long time. Going to get you to hold on. We only got 10 seconds. Javier, we'd love to have you there that weekend. Uh, Super Chatters, Catfish, 
and Deb and Blue Cruise, thank you for kicking it off. Here we go. Second half hour of Space Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. All right, let us rock and roll here. Uh, Our guest is Sarah K. Grace, author of Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. And uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure to have you here tonight. This is awesome. I'm loving this. Thank you. Well, you know, we're loving you so far. We really are. And, yeah. and uh, you know, your energy and the way you tell the stories is very cool. You know, let, let's get right into your book here, which is Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. And right before the break, you, you started dealing into where you dealt with a lot of death, almost like a death doula of the paramedics, you know. And, yeah. and what what's that like? What's that like? You know, when when you're on a case and maybe it's a car accident, maybe it's a shooting, maybe it's a heart attack or an aneurysm. What's that like showing up and what do you see? So at the by the time so I was 15 years in, okay, as a as a paramedic, I did some law enforcement chaplaincy work, too, which was all coroner cases. But as the, the 911 paramedic. Um, I actively watched probably 20 to 30 people like actively die. And then I saw hundreds of dead bodies in all different kinds of shapes, sizes, and various stages of decomposition. So I'm very attuned and familiar with death. This episode is brought to you by Snickers. You sent a message to your group text that said, it's game day. Even though your team has a bye week. Off your game. Maybe you just need a Snickers. Snickers, official chocolate bar sponsor of the NFL. This episode was brought to you by Saxoff Fifth. Looking for the perfect gifts this holiday season? Saxoff Fifth has them. Shop designer gifts they'll be sure to show off. Gift them trendy lug sole boots and combat boots from Stuart Weitzman, Karl Lagerfeld Paris, Kohlhan and more at up to 50% off. Click or tap now to discover more designer gifts from Alice and Olivia, Retrofet, and more at up to 70% off. Saks Off Fifth, where fashion takes off. Both physically. And then what I started to notice, like there's all these situations, there's all these compartments that we have to handle on a 911 call. So you're dealing with stabilizing the scene, making sure you're safe, handling the family, figuring out where you're going to transport. There's all these things that go on with it. And then when we get to the patient, 
um, I started noticing over time that there was a really significant difference between the experience that the person who was having a medical, like a hospice death, say somebody who was having end-stage cancer or even like a medical, like a heart attack, even if it was acute. Um, it was it was really incredible. So in in a cancer or hospice, they may have had the time for the thinning of the veil, so to speak. So their experience, the person who is dying, we hear this all the time where it's like, then they started to be able to sense, you know, dead loved ones in the room and they were able to start to kind of astral travel, very, very common. What I noticed in medical deaths, in the moments of death, I could actually watch the chakras released from the base of the spine and it looks so cool. It's like the most organized precision, right? But it looks like this ribbon unfurling and it goes from the base of the spine up through the crown. And over time, I learned that that's, that is what the light at the end of the tunnel is, is that soul, that person who is going, is dying, their chakra systems and their energy, their life force is leaving their field and they're, they're exiting out the crown. So then I would watch the crown, like the soul exit out the crown and I would see their dead loved ones come in. Usually it was going to be relatives um, or pets. And we would be obviously doing CPR and like handling what we needed to do. But I noticed that there was kind of this organization to it, which was really phenomenal to witness. Like at the beginning, I was really overwhelmed and I didn't understand what, what I was saying, you know. But over time, I just like I would know the second the person would cross and transition because they would disappear from my view, even though we were still doing CPR and then we pronounce them dead at the hospital versus a trauma. So here's the deal, you guys. One of my biggest takeaways of all like 15 years of 911 and seeing this much death is like none of us know. None of us know when our time is going to be, right? So live fully now. That's one of my biggest key takeaways. You know, there's I can't tell you how many people I responded to who were just doing their normal thing. Like they get up, they have their breakfast, they drink their coffee and driving to work and they're fidgeting with the radio or they're on their phone or whatever. And like, boom, they get T-boned and that's it. Lights out. Right. Or maybe it's a, a drive-by shooting or whatever. And that's the experience. The scene was very different because one, we're going to have a lot more chaos on trauma calls and like MCIs or mass casualty incidents. So there's so much more, so many more layers of chaos that we would have to handle. But for the person who just died, their experience was significantly different. Because just think of it. Here you are. You're cruising, right? You're in your car. You just got Starbucks. You're pulling out of the drive-thru. Everything's cool. And the next thing you know, you're just knocked out of your body. And I can't tell you how many times I saw this, right? So I would come on scene and I would see like the body in the car, the body on the street. And then I would see the soul standing there looking at, looking at the body, trying to figure out like, what the heck, you know? And the soul um, looks like the person, except it's translucent, okay? So I could see through, but it looked just like the body. And so telepathically, I learned very early on, I'd be like, yo, like, you know, this, you just died. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work on. So I would be talking to that soul telepathically because you got a lot of you guys are attuned and sensitive too. So you understand that like telepathically people just, you know, like with mediums, spirits just know there's a sense, a heightened sense of 
you can just tell that I could see and I could I could hear. And so telepathically, I would start to like uh, triage the soul. And then I would be handling the physical body on scene. And it was in, incredible, like high octane, very, very intense. But I have to tell you, ultimately, being there in those moments for so many people, I ultimately was like, what an honor. You know, what an absolute honor. This person has gone through their entire incarnation cycle. They've had all of these experiences. And to be there in their final breaths to provide them this, like, you know, safety, if you will, or just kind of comfort during their transition. And you said it, man, death doula. Like, I was very much midwifing. That's what I realized I was ultimately doing. When when you deal with a spirit that dies traumatically, whether it's from a brain aneurysm, car accident, murder, where they're not expecting it. Does the spirit know what's happened comparatively to say someone who's in palliative care or something along those lines? No, a lot of times it would take an actual debriefing. So I would be on scene running the physical call while telepathically communicating to the spirit. You just died. Okay, we're going to pull your body out of the car. We're going to work on you. We're going to get you to the hospital, but you're dead. And so it would, I would like have to do a debriefing. And that was really traumatic for me at the beginning, especially when A, I wasn't yet super comfortable or familiar with death. Like after, like the first time you see a dead body, if you haven't ever seen one, it's jarring, you know? And it's, it's, it's such a mind bender. Like, wait a second, there was just a person in there and now it's just this form it's a very bizarre thing and so I had to acclimate and become accustomed to that but the the trauma deaths sometimes were really difficult for me because I would literally see the the soul trying to like grab their into their body like they were trying to crawl back into their body even when I was transporting with lights and sirens and I'm starting IVs and sticking tubes in their throat and doing everything that I needed to do I could still see that the 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 spirit was trying to climb back in the body. That was, that was a lot to deal with, you know, cause ultimately I knew that they were done. They likely were not going to. Yeah. That they were done. You know, I mean, I can understand the trauma I've seen, uh, intuitively the, the trauma when a friend of mine passed away unexpectedly of a heart attack mm-hmm. and, and it, it's not a fun topic to talk about, but I mean, Spirit on the other side, if they don't know where they're not prepared, how lost are they? You know, do they know where they are? Do they know what's happened? Can they feel what's happened? So ultimately, um, probably nine out of 10 911 scenes that were traumatic, there would be an initial phase where it was just like me and the rest of my crew, and I'd be working with debriefing, but it Nine times out of 10 celestials or angels would come to the trauma calls. And what I would see is I'm working on, you know, the body and it always started like fireflies. It was so incredible. So imagine there's like a crumpled up car and there's like flames or like saw and there's sparks and there's gasoline and blood and you're in this immersed experience. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden it starts like fireflies coming in and in, then it comes into full form where a, a celestial or an angel would come on scene and it would just blanket the entire scene with just this calm and this light. And what I would watch, and I watched this 
more times than I can count is then the soul would like its attention would go to that. Right. So it, it would go away from this. And then I would watch as the celestial would get like closer to the soul and begin to very gently kind of envelop. And it was almost just like turning into pure love. Like, and so I would watch these souls like turn into and then disappear with the celestial. So there was a lot of guidance home in that way that I saw. Um, and I have seen some MCIs, again, mass casualty incidents where it took a little bit more doing. So um, there was a huge fire in California. There's always huge fires in California, but one that burned through an entire town a few years ago of paradise. And it just, it came on at like five or six in the morning and it ran so hot and so fast and it just incinerated like a whole town. So all these people are asleep in their bed and boom, that's it, right? They didn't even know what hit them. And I went up to do some work there and it was such an interesting site because we went up to one of the trailer park areas that had the most um, deaths in one condensed space. And I could see it was so eerie because now we've just got like little, like the piles of rubble that are kind of smoking and you can still smell the ash and the trees and, you know, the down lines. And there was all of these souls, there was probably like 12 or 15 and they were standing in where their homes were and they were all just standing there swaying and looking at each other like they had no idea. Right. And so that was really a haunting, but B, I knew that I had been sent there by my guides. Yeah, we were bringing some physical supplies, you know, but energetically, I knew I was there to do much, much more. But essentially, what I did was help to activate a, a portal. So it just t- turned on the light, if you will, and then did what I am used to doing in terms of debriefing the souls like you just died, there was a fire, this is what happened, you can go, you can choose now to go there. So and you then have a lot the choice. Yeah, you have the choice for sure. Okay, so let's just say I, I'm something happens to me. I'm in a car accident, and I'm sitting there wandering, and, and here comes my death doula, Sarah K. Grace, you know, hanging on out. And, you know, you give me a wave, <laughs> and you're like, hey, how you doing? And I'm just like, uh, what the heck just happened? You know, and you're like, you're dead, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, really? Are you, are you kidding mm-hmm. me right now? And I'm like, and you're like, no, dude, you're dead, right? Is it just that? When cancer research is funded, when support services are there for cancer patients, when cancer becomes a priority thanks to constant advocacy efforts, things can get better for anyone facing cancer at every step of their journey. Together, you and the American Cancer Society can make things better. To learn more, visit cancer.org slash Spotify. The all-new Mercury V-Tamborado outboards were built to power your greatest days. Days filled with memories of trophy catches and epic sunsets, with hours of laughter and miles of water to explore. At 350 or 400 horsepower, the new Verado outboards combine extraordinary capabilities with premium refinements that make boating effortless. Everything you need to confidently pursue your greatest adventures. Mercury engines are made for exploring. So are you. Go boldly. Visit mercurymarine.com slash V10 casual that conversation it ultimately it got to be that way after i became proficient as a communicator in that state um and at the beginning though i was i'm sure i was much more choppy with it but again it's just kind of 
it goes beyond just me. Like it's that heightened state and it's like my inner guidance and my, my higher self was connected to this expanded state. So what was coming through me was just really channeling and, but yeah, it really is that casual and there's nothing to fear in it. Like ultimately what I found out is birth is as natural as death and it's, it's inevitable for all of us, right? Regardless of how much we bubble wrap and medicate ourselves and there's nothing to fear in it. So again, like turning fully to living now, but in the death process, what I would see would happen a lot of times. Okay. So we have the initial experience, right? And what I would see is the souls would be met by loved ones or pets, or if they had religious beliefs, they would be met with a religious archetype. And then they'd kind of go hang out in a space with them for an indeterminate period of time. There's no such thing as time, right? In some of those higher. So we can't say like, oh, you're there for two weeks and 10 hours. It's not like that. But the soul would kind of hang out there and then everybody would start to go through a life review process. And the life review is where we like you literally see every thought, word, deed, action, like not only from your experience, but everybody else's experience. And then it goes into high, uh, other other planes and dimensions. And so that is what I would start to see that people were experiencing. So I began, began to have a little bit more familiarity with the immediacy of the moment you take off the you know, the human form, it's like taking off a heavy coat. Well, what happens to that thread of consciousness? And that's where I started to kind of track and follow. And I got a lot of that insight. Now for trauma, like the people that are really, really traumatized that are like killed abruptly, and it was super violent, they can't acclimate, they're not just going to be all like, Oh, kumbaya, this is great, that it takes a second for them to be able to like, calm down enough. So a lot of those guys, I think that's why I would assume that's why it was always celestial energy that would come in to just kind of envelop them and start to calm. But those a lot of those guys were taken to it looked almost like an ICU, but it was like these pods. And I can't even describe because it was like the soul would be put in this little pod until it could stabilize enough or calm down enough to then go into the acceptance process and begin to greet family members and archetypes and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of different threads of what happens in the immediacy after death, but I'm very familiar with it. So pretty able to have that conversation. How long does it usually take for the spirit to realize that after you've told them they're dead, that they realize what's gone on. Is it a traumatic experience for them? Do they do, do they panic? Do they uh, do they understand? It by the time I mean, there's no set time frame, and everybody's situation is different. So there's as many ways to die as there are to live. Okay, and so if you are expected and you're like your end stage disease and you're burned out and you're sick and tired of being in human form and you're completely over this, like that's like a euphoric, like finally, <laughs> you know, the trauma, everybody would be different because I mean, if we're talking about, um, yeah, there's just a lot of factors that would play into that. But nine times, like I would say most of the time. I would be on scene, what, 20 minutes, maybe like 45 if we had to extricate or pull bodies mm -hmm. out of rubble or whatever, right? But by the time we, I got into either transporting or pronouncing them dead on scene and calling the coroner, 
we would have already gone through that celestial where the, the person started to go into the acceptance and the transition piece. So right. most of the time, a few times I had a couple of suicides um, and they were so remorseful and they would not go to the light and they chased, like they came home with me and it was a whole thing that I had to like figure out how to deal with that. Right. I mean, would that, I guess that would be, you know, the same as uh, atheist or agnostic type people when they cross, not believing that there is something on the other side and they're trying to figure it out. They're lost. They're embarrassed. They're a little ashamed that they didn't believe. Yeah. And well, cause you go into the heightened state and you're, it's like, all it is is taking off this, this heavy coat and, but your threat of consciousness, your belief structures, your likes, your dislikes, all that stuff stays intact. Right. And there's a lot of people that feel like really attached to unfinished business here. And so they're just not quite ready to go. And sometimes with the suicides, like ultimately you guys, everybody has the option to integrate, like no aspect of um, divinity will leave a fragment of itself behind indefinitely. Right. Cause sometimes you hear, like, Oh, you commit suicide and you're down or you're messed, you know, forever. It's not, it's not like that, but there are, there are things around um, karmic balancing. There are things around like sometimes the soul has to stay for a certain time frame to be able to get a certain amount of what, if it's karmic balancing or wisdom or whatever, before it has the option to cross. So there's many, many, many factors that play. And again, it's not a one size fits all, just like life is not a one size fits all. There's not like a uniform structure. I have the, the beautiful honor of kind of seeing this overarching, like, oh, this is what death looks like in, in trauma and medical. And then this is kind of what the soul experiences. And it's such a huge spectrum. And then everybody's individual belief structures, and you know, it plays into that. The emotion that people have when, you know, someone dies is one thing, because we see the reaction on this side. On the other side, when, say, someone dies, not by their own hand, but let's say a father of three or a father, let's say a father who is in in the military and dies in a war scene where, where their wife is pregnant with their first child or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do they go through when they know they're leaving a terrible situation behind with their loved ones, their children leaving their, I mean, I could not imagine what it's like to leave a child behind. Right. Absolutely. And so on a, on a meta level, on a higher plane experience, we understand that there's the um, incarnation agreements and contracts. So on a higher aspect of us, we kind of knew, right, that this would be one of our potential options. And so that's just on a meta, though. So when the person dies and goes through the experience, we have this really beautiful expanded state of awareness where everything makes sense simultaneously. So like all aspects and all facets of all sides of all information are available to us simultaneously and it makes perfect sense. And so, yes, there may be a bit of sadness. There may be the integration period for the soul, but ultimately they're able to see it on a higher plane of awareness and they can even see like down the line time-wise, again, time's not, you know, um, but they can see how their exit 
karmically or was it was strategized for the soul contract. So it, if things make sense is what I'm saying. It's not like a, they're up there like feeling super terrible. It's like they may have this period of like, uh, or, you know, where they need to integrate and they need to kind of stabilize. But ultimately when we get back into that cosmic consciousness and we all have that or unity consciousness rather, and we all have that remembrance it's like it's an indescribable thing unless you've experienced it. It's just everything just makes perfect sense. And you're like, okay. Well, and I can understand from that point of view because there is so much that we don't know about the afterlife. And, you know, how much fear, as we get about 90 seconds to go, how much fear goes into those who have just quickly passed and not know? Do they panic? there's there's fear in the moments of death so it can be uncomfortable to die but it's temporary and then once the body is shed you go into a more of an understanding in a euphoric state and the fear dissipates completely hmm i don't know how i would react to that i guess like everybody else well just think of it it's like you're going through a birth canal right and it's like intense for the moment say you're being burned alive that's gonna hurt right or you're falling to your death you're aware it's going to be scary for a second. And then you go through the actual boom where the matter and the, and the soul release and they separate. And then once you have that sense of separation, like there's no more fear because you go into the expanded. So say on 9-11 where people were having to make that horrific decision on whether to burn or whether to jump. You know, and it just chokes me up even even talking about that. But when those people made that ultimate decision to leap out of the building, were they gone before they hit the ground or when they like, would they feel hitting the ground? You, it's not like you would actually feel the pain of that because all of the matter just explodes and it's not like a sensory thing, but it's more the fear of the what's happening, but probably in that type of chaos it's like everything is so pro prolifically expanded and, and heightened anyway. But it's, I've literally watched people burn alive. And it, it hurts, well, but just let's continue it when we return in a very highly, highly emotional conversation here on Spaced Out Radio with author Sarah K. Grace. SarahKGrace.com is her website. Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories from a Psychic Paramedic is her book on her website. Hour 2 of Spaced Out Radio is next. Intense. I love this show. Thanks. Love it. See, that's been, it's been a wild ride, man. Like, it has been an intense journey. <laughs> For sure. I have, um, I have, uh, through astral travel, um, I helped my nephew when he died mm -hmm. of, uh, mm. of a fentanyl overdose. Mm, and, there's so many. And, right I, now. and I helped a friend and, uh, helping that friend, I'm not going to mention his name, caused a lot of trauma mm -hmm. in my life. To the point mm. where all of my old friends think I'm a nut bar now and will not. Oh. Yeah. Like my best friend of 28 years told me to F off. No. Yeah. I'm sorry. So uh, this is a very touchy subject for me, but in a good mm -hmm. way, you know, mm -hmm. because I know what happened. 
mm-hmm. you, you know, to our friend who had passed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm just going to step away for a quick break. I'm going to put you back yeah, in the green that. room and I'll bring you right back here momentarily like that. And the rest of you just sit tight. Uh, we'll get uh, right back to you here momentarily. <clears throat>
right. I am back. And in a second here, we'll get Sarah back in here and say hello to the world. There she is. What world? Morning Star, <laughs> how are you? Um, let's see here. Uh, we do have some questions building up. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Sasquatch Omega, welcome. And, uh, let's see. That's it for right now. We got about a minute to go here. And, uh, yes. Don't forget your Christmas shopping, people, like I have this year. I finally went Christmas shopping today. Mr. Cowley, welcome back to the show. Oh, Mr. Cowley loves his spaced out radio. That's all I got. All I got. Uh, thank you to Blue Cruise, Deb, and Catfish for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love. It's a great way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And if you're looking for Christmas presents, head to our website, spacedoutradio.com. Grab a shirt, grab a hoodie, grab some runners, whatever you need. It's all right there for you. And we're going to get going here in three seconds. Stay tuned. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning us in. We love you being a part of our listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. I don't even know what this is. Yoko Sirius? Yoko Sirius is your password. Have no idea if I pronounced it right, but the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Author Sarah K. Grace is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. She has a great book on her website, Journey into Grace, Real life stories of a psychic paramedic, Sarah Grace, or pardon me, Sarah K. Grace.com is the website. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you again for having me. I'm loving this conversation and this community. We were right before the break talking about the trauma of people leaving their body and not knowing what has happened. I mean, when that spirit say, let's say is in a car accident and the body is just decapitated. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you, you've seen it all. Okay. Mm -hmm. What happens to that spirit? Yeah. If they're trying to get back into their body, but knowing they're, they're, you know, maybe their chest is caved in or they're missing a head or they bled out because their legs are no longer there. I mean, Mm -hmm. how, what's that like? talking to the spirit or seeing a spirit go through that? 
Those types of scenarios. So a decapitation is pretty painless to the person experiencing it from what I've witnessed. Um, Same with incineration, just because they're so extreme and excessive and violent, but they're also quite swift. I mean, time frame wise, you know, probably a good five, six minutes of pain if you're actually burning alive. But beyond that, it's not it's not going to be painful. And then it's really again, it just goes back to that heightened state of like helping them to understand that you know, they're dead and then telling them what it is that we were going to do from the, the paramedic standpoint while simultaneously helping them to understand their choice in terms of being able to potentially go with the celestial or just debriefing them. So it's really just communicating and breaking it down for them. Really? Okay. So does the spirit recognize what death is? It's really... It's literally like a birth canal, like, you know, and whichever way you enter that, um, there's the constriction of being in the dualistic paradigm, right? This matter is dense and there's this, this heaviness that keeps the construct of the cells together so we can have this day-to-day experience. Well, death just releases that. And we just go back into a heightened state. We go back to what we came from, essentially, just in terms of energy right and we're not i'm not going to get into any particular belief structures or for me so it's settled we're getting a nintendo switch system oh yeah mario kart 8 deluxe here i come you mean family night here we come and i can't wait to customize my own splatoon 3 character so you can play with the kids oh right yes the kids get a nintendo switch system for the family and for you additional accessories may be required for multiplayer mode games systems and some accessories sold separately Viola Davis, thank you so much for making the time. Andrew Garfield, I'm so happy to see you. Cheers, Olivia Coleman. Cheers. I love you too. Let's do this all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's the release of the physical, and we go back into the remembrance of the energetic self or the spirit self. Okay. Uh, because with the state of confusion that one can happen, you know, is it different for someone? And we touched on this a little bit earlier regarding, uh, you know, agnostic or, or people who don't believe, but is it, is it hard for someone who say they feel they've, they've wronged God or source or whatever it may be on the other side and, they don't want to travel to the light or they don't want to, they don't want to, you know, they're, they're afraid of that, that next level. I mean, how often have you dealt with something like that? Yeah, I've seen that. And oftentimes, so even those guys are never alone. So there would be some sort of almost like a steward energy or spirit that I would say with maybe a suicide, um, or, um, person that had tremendous remorse or grief uh, or regret. Okay. And they would be in almost like a, like a, a room, but what it was, was the, the spirit was still being kind of debriefed where it's like coming to terms with. So it's not, everything doesn't just happen at one time. Like you leave your body and you cross. There's like this, there's this process that kind of happens. And so for people that um, are really attached or they have a lot of unfinished business here, there is kind of a, a, a prolonged time frame where they can remain in this realm without a body 
and I saw this a lot in suicides, while their spirit got kind of the karmic balancing and got whatever it meant to get in this particular incarnation to cross. And so there's, there's a lot of facets to it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think it does. I mean, there's a lot of factors uh, that go into death. I mean, but for most people, including myself out there, the, the idea or the theory of death, knowing that it is inevitable, it, it sucks. Like, death is one of those topics that I can tell you right now in this moment, even having this conversation with you, that I'm starting to feel my anxiety build up. Because okay. I because I absolutely fear death, not because I don't believe I, I am a I am a God guy. OK, mm-hmm. but I fear it because of the what if what if science mm-hmm. is right? What if there's nothing beyond? What if it's just you're one and done? This is what gets my anxiety going. And I kind of like life. OK, mm-hmm. I kind of like going outside and seeing the sunshine or the snowfall. I kind of like dr- taking long drives in the middle of the night uh, to into the forest to go see if I could find Sasquatch. I like traveling to wherever I'm going. I, but most importantly, you know, I look at my children. I look at my children and I think, and I think, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, be a part of absolutely everything that they're a part of. Now that I just became a grandfather. Okay, three weeks ago, I look at my grandson and and I'm like, I, I want to be around for a while, you know. I want to mm-hmm. I want to know what this kid is like. How how is this boy? You know, what's he, what sports is he going to play? What's he going to be good at? You know, what can I help him out with? You know, uh, my my own son the exact same way, and it it brings me at times into absolute panic attacks about the thought of even leaving and going on another mm-hmm. destination. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, honestly, Dave, what you're speaking is that that's the majority of people's experience. And that's why I love having this conversation so that we can kind of shed a light on um, at least my experience and what I've witnessed with and how it can kind of uh, take away some of the fear. Right. We as a culture are death phobic. We as a culture are not taught at all to embrace aging um, and certainly not look at death, right? In other cultures, some other cultures revere their elders and look at um, the full birth death cycle, you know? We as a culture don't. And so we don't have um, the educated conversations to kind of share and and dispel some of that fear and the anxiety that you're talking about I think is really normal like because having our sense of self is what we know right so once we don't have that like what is there and it's almost too big for the mind and so we want to try to control it right which is why we there's there's so much happening collectively um, with fear and panic and things and so just having that understanding like softening the grip a little bit having conversations about this and then just remembering again and that's why I I try to bring it always back around none of us know none of us are guaranteed we do know that inevitably we will at some point transition but none of us knows when so what are we doing with today 
right? What are we doing with today? And that's why I'm such a life advocate. So I love everything that you just said, because everything that you just said is it. Like living your life fully expressed and allowing yourself to go for your dreams and spend time with your family and go looking for Sasquatch and look at Aurora Borealis and like have all of your cool experiences. Like that's it, you know, and then ultimately there will be a transition. And once we make the transition, again, things make sense. We can still see our loved ones. It's like a snow globe. They can see us. <laughs> it's not like you're not going to be there. You'll be there, but it just in a, in a different timeline if you will no i i and get so, that but you know i guess it's kind of like you know you're there but you're not there and mm -hmm. that's what bugs me yeah and that's the i mean that's totally normal that's part of the human paradigm like we want to feel safe and we want to feel in control we want to feel like we know and that's the limbic system trying to keep us alive so it's totally understandable like uh, just the idea of not being what i know or what i i can control that's totally normal. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some audience questions here because they are building up. Let's start off with our friend Joseph here who is asking, what about toothaches at death? Any connection? Oh, that's a phenomenal. That's a phenomenal question. I don't personally know of anyone that's died of a toothache. But to the, the teeth with the meridians, teeth are so important in our health and vitality, just as the same as the gut biome is like paramount in, in health and vitality. And so if you have a lot of dental issues and if you have um, obviously infections and things that can degrade health, which can lead to death. But I'm not, I've never personally witnessed anybody die of a toothache. That'd be a new one for me. What about toothache being a sign of death? Uh, I wouldn't put it necessarily as a sign of death. I would go more towards which meridian is that tooth connected to and look at the uh, organ system connected to that and then get to the root of your emotional connections and blocks around that organ system. All right. Let's move on to another question here. This one from Bogon. How do we prepare for death, our loved ones and our own? Ah, phenomenal question. So on the physical plane, prepare for death by... Please have a will. Please have your advanced directives. Please have conversations with your loved ones about what you want done. Okay. Time and time again, I would see and I would go on scene and people would just be in such shock and then they wouldn't have any access to the person's passwords. They didn't know anything about their wishes and it just turns into this huge cluster. So please have a conversation with your loved ones, write down all of your passwords and put in all of your account information and put it in a safe place and tell somebody that you trust where it's at. So that's what we do on the physical to prepare for death and having conversations like this. Um, you know, everybody's belief and I honor all of your guys's different beliefs. Like for me, I've just experienced what I've experienced and I'm here to share from that perspective, right? It's not like I'm telling you this is how it, you know, and so have your conversations with your loved ones and the people around you about your perspective of death. And if there's a fear and like, you know, start to kind of like maybe, Again, dispel the fear and have the educated dialogues to prepare. But how do we really, really, really prepare for death? We live. That's how we prepare for death. We live. 
Right. But for some of us, though, it's still confusing. I mean, if you are a, a believer in some, some higher power, whether it's God, Allah, Buddha, whoever it is, I mean, the weird part about it is that I can't wrap my finger around and it still bugs me. This is more of a religious type question is why, why bring us here to die? That's what drives me nuts. Drives me crazy, that question. So death is just a completion cycle, right? Death is like as it, it's part of the, the natural cycle. And so it just is. It's like really natural. Right? True. And so are you, you're still feeling like death is like a bad thing or like a punitive thing? Is that? No. I, I mean, for me, for me, it, it upsets me. Because from what I believe, okay, being, look, I'm not a religious guy, but I do have a a strong belief in God. I don't practice any religion because I believe religion is man-made and I don't want to fall for a lot of the BS that goes along with it. So that is why I have separated the two. And for me, okay, I can't understand or fathom if, if God... This episode is brought to you by Stuart Weitzman. Every woman deserves to celebrate her strength, her confidence, her power, her courage. And there's no better way to do so than with Stuart Weitzman, in shoes that quite literally lift you up. The fall collection brings new boots, booties, and sandals, as bold as the women who wear them, all designed so every woman can stand strong wherever she goes. To learn more and shop now, visit stuartweitzman.com. So it's settled. We're getting a Nintendo Switch system. Oh, yeah. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, here I come. You mean family night, here we come. And I can't wait to customize my own Splatoon 3 character. So you can play with the kids. Oh, right. Yes, the kids. Get a Nintendo Switch system for the family and for you. Additional accessories may be required for multiplayer mode. Games, systems, and some accessories sold separately. Created us in his eyes what we should be. And we're supposed to be of his will. Why would he create us to die if we are supposed to be one of him? This is what. That, yeah, that's that's going to be a, a bigger um, topic. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, that's a phenomenal question and perspective. And again, if just coming at it from the vantage point that I come at it from like the higher planes of eternal life or eternal reality are in existence. And the physical is meant to be um, not fragmented, but we have the beginning and the end because the dualistic paradigm and the tangible reality of duality, we have, the senses, the ego, gravity, and duality that comprise this dimension, and that's the human incarnation. So we come out of this heightened state of unity consciousness intentionally to come here to have the experience of contrast. And this is just my experience and my perspective. So right. take what resonates and like, well, whatever doesn't, right? But there's a, 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 a finite nature to that expression, like having right. the sense of contrast. Like, and that's where we come into the, the birth death cycle, the yin yang, the high, low, the masculine, feminine, it's dualistic here. So right. It's, does that make sense? 
Let's get to a pair of questions from Donna here. Number one, do they take them to the, they being the guides, the angels, the guardians, whoever, take them to the stairway to heaven? I've seen the the light appear in rays and doors. I don't know that I've ever actually seen a stairway. Um, I think that's a really beautiful visual. Um, it may just be that because my uh, experience is dealing with the acute and the immediacy of the, the trauma and the chaos that it just appeared more of like a solid door to me. But yeah, there's always guides that will assist the soul as they try to figure out what's going on. All right. Follow up question from Donna. What about ghosts as white as the clouds visiting and mind speaking to you? Uh, can you help me to understand that question? Well, you know, people who see ghosts, you go to a haunted mm-hmm. building, you go, uh, you know, I'm sure you have seen numerous ghosts over your time, let alone when you're not communicating mm-hmm. with them with work. You know, what are ghosts mm-hmm. then? A lot of times ghosts are human uh people that died that were really attached and had unfinished business here and didn't want to cross yet. So they're attached or affixed to an object or a location. And so that can be one element. There's also, so I grew up in South Dakota on surrounded by the standing rock Indian reservation, very beautiful, very, very um, open and barren space. And I would feel a lot of Native American spirit there. So both it may have been that there were actually humans that um, died and still remained. But moreover, with those guys, I felt like it was the ancestral lineage energy that was manifesting through spirit. So it can it can be both human spirit and then come from different delineations of levels of awareness. All right, let's, let's continue on here. Well, let's go to Sibylla who is asking, have you ever seen a dark entity around a person who is crossed? I've seen a lot of dark entities usually hang with people that are alive more than those who transition. Because again, when we transition, we shed the dualistic frame of paradigm. And so dark entities, oftentimes I see, yes, they exist. And oftentimes they're hooked into the, the individual, um, as a result, whether it's if there's a substance, like alcohol, meth, heroin, like there's a lot of things that I would see entities with um, oftentimes. And a lot of times people who had really unintegrated trauma, <clears throat> excuse me, and they they were had a lot of um, challenge and trauma in their life and unresolved um Fragmented psyche is what I'm trying to say. A lot of times I would see dark entities that would hook in there, but there's nothing to fear in even that. It's not like something that they might be siphoning some of your life force energy as a result of utilizing or imbibing in, you know, if you're drinking alcohol, there's going to be energetic uh, repercussions in, ad- in addition to the physical repercussions with that, but there's nothing to fear in any of it. Like the more, um, aware and the more I kind of traveled in this world and like had conversations and squared off with entities. At first I used to try to fear them and banish them and make them go away. And then I just started being like, who are you? Like, what are you? Like, why are you here? And why are you on that person? Like, what is this about? And they would always do give a message. So messengers, wisdom, it's all, it's to me, it's all God. It's all just energy. All right. Let's go to Deb here. 
And she wants to know, Sarah, what about cremation and if the soul is affected differently? It is not. It is not. That's purely a physical choice. Many many religions do believe, though, that it is Mm -hmm. desecrating the human vessel. But many are starting to change their ways. Like my mom's religion, which is uh, Haldeman Mennonite where all the men, they wear beards, and all the ladies wear black mm-hmm. beanies on the back of their head. Okay, uh, ladies never uh, cut their hair. Okay, there's no television, no radio, no voting, no sports. Uh, school is only good until grade 8 for for kids because, because um, you know, they go work. But they're some of the most beautiful people in my life that I've ever met my relatives, including my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. Nonetheless, um, you know, they used to believe very strongly that you cannot cremate a body because destroying the vessel is desecrating God's vessel for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And however, they have recently changed that attitude and said that it no longer effects that, you know, the spirit has left the body and the spirit mm-hmm. is what's important that goes back to God and, and it kind of goes from there. So I, I'm actually mm-hmm. quite shocked that many religions are actually changing their attitudes towards that. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go back to your statement about how like religion tends to often be man-made concept, right? And so we're, we're just dealing with different levels because ultimately the the physical body breaks down, whether you're buried, it, everything decomposes, whether you're incinerated or it naturally decomposes. We go back to the earth regardless, right? Absolutely. Just in terms, of the, in terms of the physical form. So again, we're just looking at the belief structure and the belief structure of the human condition is one of the most divisive things, right? So it's like everybody's entitled to their own belief structure and whatever works for them. Awesome. Totally honor that. And I'm just looking at things from, more of a the energetic level. Sarah, I'm going to get you to hold on right there as we have Sarah K. Grace for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio, talking about death, talking about psychic, talking about dealing with people who have just crossed over. Her website, sarahkgrace.com. Her book, Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. We continue with Spaced Out Radio right after this. I'm having so much fun here with you tonight. Good. And at another time, if you ever want any help integrating that uh, death, I'd be happy to help you with that. Oh, yeah. I know it'll happen. I know when I'm going. I no, know. not your death. But the one that traumatized you. The death that you just helped with that traumatized you, if you want help integrating oh, yeah. that, for sure. Yeah. No, I I have, um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, mm-hmm. I'm very much okay with that. Uh, my own death, I know, will happen. I know that my son, previous to being born, uh, they gave me an extra five years. Mm. So originally, I was scheduled to check out. I was told I was scheduled to check out at eighty. But okay. but I I had a real emotional night. This is this going back to like 2012, early 2013. I had an emotional night one night because I thought, you know what? 
you know, I'm have our our son was born when I turned forty, and wow, and so I was like, okay, like, like I felt bad, and I had an emotional breakdown. Like, geez, I'm you know, my son is barely going to get a chance to know me. I'm only going to know him for forty years. I mean, it, that's a lifetime for some, but mm-hmm. it, it it really hit me emotionally, and so um. I actually, uh, you know, that night in my channeling and everything like that, they gave me another five years on top of that. So nice. I'll, I'll, I'll check out. At, I'll check out at eighty-five. Nice. Yeah. Good. Unless I'm an idiot uh, before that, so which I don't think it will be. Yeah. Uh, Hadley, yeah, what is a Mennonite? Uh, it's a religious. Uh, um, a, a strict part of the Christian religion. It's uh, an old, uh, like pre prior to Germany being born, a more of a Bavarian type of, uh, of uh, Christianity. That's a great question. Do you see Deb? It's an old fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce and introducing the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Happy, happy, happy Christmas from Raising Canes and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Canes. There it is. Celebrate an enduring tradition with kith and kin and hand-battered cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce. It's good. It's good. And introducing... Drumroll, please. Flush puppies that benefit local pet organizations and the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hey. Happy, happy, happy Christmas from Raising Canes and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> if this tastes half as good as it looks, you're in for a real treat. Next question. Uh, let me see here. We're talking uh, about the pet. Oh yeah, I got I got that one up there. I got mm-hmm. I I highlight them so that way I can go into a different screen and. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, some people are like way into the pet healing realm. That's not my wheelhouse, but I have a ton of respect for those people. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. There's a lot of Mennonites where I grew up in South Dakota, mm-hmm. actually. Same as Bonner's Ferry, Idaho. Right across the border. Bonner's Ferry, Idaho. I walked in there one day. And uh, it's like filled with men, uh, Haldeman Mennonites. Like, holy cow, I'm at home. Yeah. I should do, I I, I should do a little name dropping around here. <laughs> hey, do you know Uncle Ken and Auntie Brenda? Right. That's awesome. This is great community you have. Really insightful questions. Well, we uh, I, I run a very very strict chat room. Good. I, I don't. Uh, um, I've had a few people come in over the years and say, you know, where's the free speech? I, and I and I have to tell them, you know, this isn't this isn't a democracy in here. This is a davocracy, right? My yeah. my room, my rules. You know, like yeah. there are certain things I don't tolerate. I don't tolerate political talk. I don't talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I don't tolerate anything to do with COVID. I don't tolerate mm-hmm. uh, anything to do with insulting guests. You can disagree with a guest all you want, mm-hmm. but you don't insult the guest because they've mm-hmm. people like you have given time to to you know 
to be with us and to inform us. Whether the person listening believes you or not, that's their choice. They're allowed totally. to they're allowed to disagree, but they're not allowed to be insulting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um you know, just just little things like that I, I don't I don't put up with. So uh Yeah, I appreciate that a lot because it's holding a integrity, you know. Trying to. Trying to. Mm-hmm. Like we don't put up with, you know, a- anything racial, anything superficial to knocking people's looks or sexuality or anything. You know, we want this to be a community for all because that's why we're here. You know, yeah, this, yeah. this community doesn't care whether you're, you're gay, straight, black, white, uh, whatever religion you are from Satanism to, to Christianity to agnostic. I don't care. You know, my mm-hmm. rules, my way, you know, hi, okay. Logan black and res. How you guys doing? And, uh, I got a few questions here. We're going to be busy right to the top. I probably got enough questions till the top of the hour. Thank you to Dr. Steers, Deb Times 2, Blue Cruise, and Catfish for the super chats. Here we go, everyone. Third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. A plethora. My favorite word, plethora. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time, author Sarah K. Grace is here with us, and we are talking about death and psychic wow. intuition to talk to the dead. Yes. <laughs> People are like, Yes. She's got a great book on her website, sarahkgrace.com, called Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic. And you know what? She's been there, done that all, being a paramedic for over 15 years. And Sarah, thank you so much. You've been absolutely amazing tonight. Well, thank you very much, Dave. This has really been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, we hope that one day you might come back. That's why we try and be nice. I would love to. You guys are awesome. Yay. All right. <laughs> Let's get – got a bunch of audience questions here for you. I want to try and get through all of them here. So let's start off with Joseph who is asking, how can we choose to ascend instead of reincarnate at the time of death? And I agree with this because Lord knows I don't want to be a baby again. I don't want to go through the teenage years again. I was too much of a zit face this time around, man. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. And again, these questions are phenomenal. These are some really large questions and we can get into different um, aspects. Uh, I know in some religious beliefs, I believe it's Buddhism or yeah, we're in the moment of death. If you're super lucid, there's an out, uh, allegedly an out where you get off the wheel of uh, cyclical incarnation in human form. That's one thought and belief structure. So, 
what I think is important to understand, you guys, is we as a human species tend to be very earth centric and we tend to think that we're just reincarnating here um, and that like it's like a singular experience that we go over and over and over and it's just here. But that's not the way it is at all. There's actually thousands of parallel lives that are happening simultaneously in various uh, levels of, of realities. And so I get the desire not to come back here. Believe me, um, you know, this is not, this is a pretty intense place to incarnate into. Um, so I'm just going to say, I don't personally know that there's a certain way that we can choose to ascend aside from, again, when we, sh when we shift, shed the body, we automatically ascend in back into unity consciousness. We go through kind of the uh, hibernation phase uh, with the religious archetypes and the family and the pets from this incarnation, go through the life review. And at that point, a lot of the data from all of our life, parallel lives goes into an oversoul. And from that point, I believe we have the choice to whether or not we're going to take a break or incarnate back into, but that's just my little experience from some of my travels out there. It's not, I'm not going to say that it's a finite set in stone thing. Well, there you go. There you go. Let's move on to another question here. This one from Donna. What if that floating ghost says he has plans for you? Sweet. What are those plans? Ask him. I like to, there's nothing to fear in any of the spirit or the entity stuff. Even if they get all poltergeisty, ultimately they really can't, um, they, they can do things to help to, to mess with your own psyche to get you to hurt yourself. But ultimately, they can't really hurt us. So they're just be curious. Like, what's up? Like, who are you? What do you want? Why are you here? Do you have a message for me? What are your plans for me? And then ultimately, remember that you have choice and personal power. And so even if somebody's trying to cast a spell on you, if you don't buy into it and you're really dialed into your own energetic field and you're really strong in who you are and your sense of self, whatever they're projecting is just going to fall off. So just be curious and ask the ghost what's up. All right, let's go to Deb here. What about pet souls and their transition? Have you ever dealt with that? I have not. And I thought this was a brilliant question because I know there's a lot of healers that are specialty in like the animal field and realm. I haven't. The only experience I've personally had is watching as somebody dies, their dead pets that were obviously beloved come to greet them. But that's really my own only personal experience with it. I just lost my kitty like oh, two weeks ago after five, six years, it was very sudden. He, he had a stroke. And so I was, he came to me in a dream two nights in a row and showed me that he was happy and playing with friends. So there was a little bit of integration for me in that way, but I don't, I wouldn't be able to speak to any firsthand experience about like the process that the pets go through. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, let us continue on here. Let's go to Mr. Catfish, who is asking, what do you know about the greys? Where do the aliens come in on this? I That's another one that's not really my wheelhouse. I know they're ancient and they exist, and that's going to be more of the cosmic construct stuff. And to all of those people, like I love these channels and these people who are super connected to all of these different, with the UFOs and the aliens and all of that. That's just not my wheelhouse. I've been down here in the trenches with the human condition. So I don't know a whole lot about the grace, to be honest with you. You've never had any uh, alien type of experiences while dealing with uh, 
the trauma? You've never seen aliens around? I have seen, I've not necessarily in like the paramedic curriculum or the, the life or death. I think I was there for a certain function when I was going through my own healing phase. And I did a lot of um, shamanic work and healing work on myself. I did tremendous amounts of expansion work and have seen a lot of different species, if you will. But it was really for me, I was just kind of realm hopping and exploring and um, kind of getting to know what else was out there. Mm. So you got some aliens. You just haven't admitted it to it yet. <laughs> Maybe I've had little touchstone experiences, but I, the bulk of my experience and familiarity is over here. All right. You're in alien denial. That's what we'll call it. Alien denial. Yeah. <laughs> I'm open, man. Yeah, I am open. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Sasquatch Omega. My best friend uh, suddenly died at 28, and he came to me a few days later in a very lucid dream to comfort me. I feel strongly it was really him. Is this something many people experience? Yes, and it was really him. It's the, one of the easiest ways for them to communicate is through the dreamscape because the egoic infrastructure in the mind is out of the way, so it's really easy for them to just come in and communicate. Like I just shared, my cat did it, right? Um, very, very easy. So when you have that impression and you sense that it's really them, it, it is for sure. And yes, that is very, very common for people to experience, uh, their, their loved ones who just passed in dreamscape. All right, let's continue here. Let's go to Javier, who is finishing his final test at UC Berkeley while listening to this show right now. And congratulations, He's Javier. Typing. He's just in the middle of his typing. I middle of it. typing. Stopping writing a test. Oh, screw the test. Let's let's get to some uh, some uh, questions here. I love it. Love it. Can you intuitively pick up on when someone is aware or awakened psychically? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of us can kind of recognize those of us, you know, the other types of people who are energetically sensitive. Uh, for me, I've got the tell of being able to see uh, energetic infrastructures and auric fields. And so those usually look more illuminated, vibrant, brighter colors, and they're running the grid infrastructures a lot more streamlined. So that's how I tell. Um, but if I'm just out and about and yeah, I just intuitively can get hits on where people are at. All right. Uh, I, I'm going to not put this next question up because it does uh, deal with something we don't talk about on this show, which is COVID. But I will uh, put Joseph's uh, uh, re reword his question that uh, spirits who say have uh, health issues, do they appear mm -hmm. different than those who don't? Okay, spirits that what are you talking about? Spirits Let, let's say on, on this side, a person has health issues. They mm -hmm. die of health issues, whether it's poisoning, whether it's uh, maybe something, uh, some type of medical disease that they were born with, yeah. whether it's cancer. Do they show up different on the other side than what they no. do look like on the human side? Oh, yeah. Okay. I get it now. I was like, oh, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Oh, there it is. Yeah. We all look like we're like 30 and super healthy. <laughs> it's it's awesome because we just like reboot into um, 
the the most vibrant aspect of the form of this incarnation. And again, even in you guys, the way that I like to look at things is just remember your power. Okay. In this life, there's a lot of stuff that feels like it's really out here and it's out of our control, but ultimately the, the more we go within, the more we connect, the more we learn to run our own energy and navigate our own, like be witness to our own thoughts and beliefs and all of these things and our emotions and all the things, the more, um, personal power that we have, then we start to understand like the wisdom in all of this. And so disease um, and even trauma and addiction, those things aren't necessarily bad, right? Because there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of experiential wisdom that we go through as a result of going through trauma and addiction and disease process. So I just wanted to add that because a lot of times it's like we get in this life, it's really hard. It's not super fun. And, and then there's health issues and then there's all this chaos and it's like, oh, this feels really bad. It's it's deep, deep, sharp contrast and all of it is helping us evolve uh, individually as souls and collectively as a human condition. Makes so. sense. Makes complete mm -hmm. sense. Okay, let us continue on here and go to Jorgen in Sweden. What do you say about our soul? Walk. Can we have? Uh, can we have been in both female and male bodies before? Yeah, we've all. Okay, so this is you guys' questions are all awesome. I love you all. So um, yes, the answer to that is yes. We have all done kind of it all already, and so we're incarnating here, and it's a linear like identity. Um, thinking that like I am male or I am female when we're in higher form, it's androgynous, just like a lot of the celestials and angels that I would see are androgynous. They weren't male or female. They were this really exquisitely beautiful combination of both. And, um, when we're in higher states of consciousness, uh, yeah, we, we have definitely been both before we've been everything before Kings and Queens and paupers and all of it. Excellent. All right. Let's go to Steve. Sarah, what's your opinion on cremation, please? I love how this is a this is a thing for you guys. Um, I my opinion on cremation is if that's the person's wishes, then uh, go for that. What that person wishes for. Um, yeah, it's really up to the individual and and their belief structure and their viewpoints. Very cool. I want to be cremated. Me that's too. what you're asking. Yeah. Me too. I want to be cremated and like thrown off with a mountaintop into the into the air. I I uh I have one rule that I've written down that when they put me into the crematorium, I will be wearing my favorite I will be wearing my favorite hat. Uh I nice. I, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want a suit. I want a t-shirt, shorts, and no socks because I can't stand socks. Okay. Legit, really? You can't oh. stand socks. You, no, you must I, have warm feet. Oh no! <laughs> living up here, I have to wear socks. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I like funky socks, but you know, if I'm in in a nice warm place, I never wear socks. Right. Never. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, and then as I'm going in, they have to play Guns N' Roses "Paradise City." Yes, <laughs> I love it. That is my rule. That is my rule. I love it. That when See, I'm, I love you. I when love I'm going in, I, I'm going out with Paradise City. You know, perfect. Because won't you please that's take like, me home? A, that's such that's such a boss way to go. I oh, have yeah. to just tell you, you got to be in control. 
got to be in control <laughs> of everything, right? Let's right. get to Hadley here. After someone dies, what's with the dungeon door slamming sound that some people hear? I honestly don't. I'm not familiar with the dungeon door slamming sound. Uh, is there anything that you guys have talked about before that? No. I'm not like. So the only thing that comes to mind when I read that question is like there may be there's an audible pop when the soul disconnects from the physical form that could potentially sound a little bit like a, a slam, but I'm not sure dungeon door slam. And I love the, the, the sound of that. I'm just not familiar with it. Right. You know, one of the things that uh, I have learned, we, as we got about just under nine minutes to go here with you is that many, many people who work in hospice, although they are not allowed to admit it, they know when someone is getting ready to pass. You know, they'll oh, yeah. they'll they'll walk into a room that's empty except for the patient and the patient will be will be talking to loved ones on the other side or friends or or whom whomever they are speaking with on the other side. You know, do these and it's funny because a couple months ago my mom is very ill right now and we thought that that moment was coming. I walked into her her room and my dad was in there and my daughter was in there and a couple other people were already in there because uh, we raced down to go see her. And, and first thing I, I'm looking for is, okay, where's the angel of death? Can I feel him? Mm-hmm. No, can't feel him. And like, okay, I guess we're not dying today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how obvious is that for people who are intuitive to pick up? You know, it's actually fair. It's very obvious for those of us that are intuitive or really sensitive. And it's even pronounced for like mainstreamers who are not open to this stuff at all. Even those guys are like, there was something that happened that I could, I could feel or I knew, right? For me, it's so obvious. I taste metal. I expand out. Like my tells are my tells, but I've been in this in this world for a long, long time. But it is like in that moment of death, I believe it's because that person, the their consciousness is expanding. The and so everything on the molecular structure of the like you're in the room and you can literally feel feel it. Like because their their physiology is shifting, their consciousness is shifting. You can feel it, you can sense it. Some people can smell it. I can taste it. What does death taste like? Metal. Heavy. That's or my soft. Tell. Every single every single time I I was around or I was going to get a call to go on somebody who was dying, I would taste metal. That was always my tell. I don't know, just tasted like metal. Pixie Lara. Oh, heavy metal. Now, you now get I it. get it. Now you get Dude, it. Dude, it was late for me. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> Pixie Lara is asking, in your well, experience with past pets, do they tend to stay around or do they come and go checking in on you? Yeah, the, just in my limited experience with past pets, they do stay around and they do come and check on you and they definitely greet you when you're passing and should you be in a traumatic situation that you're needing comfort. I've seen that. Yeah. Seen that too. Seen that too with my dog and my cats, a couple of the cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of cool when all of a sudden, you know, you go to shift on your bed and you feel the animal there and you know that they're not there 
Yep, totally. It's kind of cool. It is a very, very cool experience. You know, speaking of loved ones and people, you know, what is the when someone, whether it's traumatically, it's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate an enduring tradition with kith and kin <laughs> and hand-battered cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce. It's good. It's good. And introducing drum roll, please. Plush puppies that benefit local pet organizations and the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Canes and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. (laughs) If this tastes half as good as it looks, you're in for a real treat. It's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Canes. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce and introducing the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Canes and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> or, or, or passes that you've dealt with as a paranormal paramedic, okay, is there usually a message or some similarities that you have noticed over this time? Like, do, is there something that they all say? Is there something that they all do as they're about to cross? So as somebody's dying, is there, is there a specific message or is it a message for a loved one? Either, or is, is there just something that happens that you've found pattern in? Usually in the moments there's obviously if, especially in like a medical death where they've had time to kind of ruminate on their life, they're going through a bit of their life experience. So a lot of times the walls come down and they start to, um, you know, make amends and it really starts to go away from the materialistic and like the, the linear achievements of this life. And it gets down to the brass tacks of what ultimately matters, which is the the connection. Right. And so people have often expressed remorse or deep gratitude or profound love for people just before they're leading up to death. And then what I would witness in the soul after is like profound love and appreciation for that person. And if it was a traumatic death, there would oftentimes be like a tell my wife I love her or tell tell my wife I'm sorry or tell my, you know, there was a bit of remorse like that. But I didn't see a linear finite thing as much as just the sense of the feeling of um, deep love. Do they feel that deep love from a heavenly source or just from a, a life source? I think it's both, but when we go out of our body and we expand into the higher state, it's euphoric. We feel, we feel great. There's no more pain. There's no more of the contrast. And so, yes, it could be like God energy or source energy or universe energy that's coming in as love that saturates us. And then it just makes it easier for us to, to give that love, but there's still that, you know, I, you were with that person and you had that connection and you had that sense of love. So I think the answer is both. Got you. Got you. Okay. In regards to those who are moving on, okay, have you ever had a spirit, like, after you tell them, hey, dude, guess what? You're dead. Have they ever just ran off from the scene, kind of screaming or, like, trying to run home, you know, to throw some water on their face or whatever it may be? Have they taken off on you? I've had a couple follow me home trying to get, trying to convince me that, no, I'm not actually dead. And they, they, 
there was a couple that I needed to actually go to healer or shamanic friends of mine to help integrate and get out of my field. I've never seen them like bolt out of there because usually they're trying to get back in their body, you know? And ultimately if they don't get back in their body, they don't follow me home and they want to leave the scene. They may start going back to their house. Right. But then eventually they'll probably start to figure out that they're not in form anymore. Nobody can see them or hear them. And then they may start to question, like, what the heck? And at that point, a guide would come in, or I mean, guides come in. What about checking on loved ones afterwards? Okay, like, I'll give you an example. With my nephew, when he passed away, I know the night I got to my parents' house, he was in there. Because at 4 4 o'clock every morning when he was trying to get into rehab, okay, Mm -hmm. he was detoxing at my parents' house. And at four o'clock in the morning, he would always get up for a drink of water. Well, there happened mm-hmm. to be, after he passed, there happened to be a garbage can filled with aluminum pop cans right by the sink mm-hmm. that all of a sudden fell over and spilled mm-hmm. cans all over the place, right beside the sink mm-hmm. where he would get water. Okay. You know, um, being able to feel the energy, see the energy. Okay. Even when my mom, when I went down for my mom being sick, uh, you know, I, I wa- walked into the kitchen, felt his energy there. And I'm like, hey, dude, mm-hmm. we got grandpa because we're at home with my dad. My mom's in the hospital. We're at home with grandpa. We got him. Go hang out with grandma. Go make sure she's okay mm-hmm. for the night. Mm-hmm. And then you felt the energy leave. Is, is that just a comfort for us going through the trauma? Or is it them that they want to be a part of a family moment? Yeah, it's both. It's not like they just bail and they're like, all right, you know, that was fun. There's still all of the love and attachment. It's just without the physical form. And so the intention, like the spirits can sit pretty consistently. And usually for the first period after they transition, they're around quite a bit. And then some people get distraught because after maybe a year or whatever, they don't feel them as much. And they're like, did they leave? No, they haven't left. It's just that their consciousness starts to get reassigned and they start to go do different things. But their their thread of consciousness and attachment is always there. And so, yeah, they, they definitely come around. And I think it's both for them to help them kind of integrate. And- Sarah K. Grace, we love you. We have to bring you back on Spaced Out Radio. Her book at sarahkgrace.com. Journey into Grace, real life stories of a psychic paramedic. Coming up next, we're heading to the swamp to kick off hour number three on Spaced Out Radio. What an awesome show. That was so fun. What an awesome show. So right there. We're, we're giving you some serious clapping right there. That was great. Um, And I see some really good questions. Uh, You know, I would love to come back and we can talk more about how people can activate their gifts. And I love I love where we went with this tonight. I think it was super fun. Oh, look, I think Sarah deserves a week, a spot weekly. (laughs) Heck, yeah, I'm down. Whatever you want, just reach back out and we'll we'll play. Do you mind? Do you mind putting my website in the chat? I can do that just for you. Thank you. There you go. There it is. Oh, man. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. This was really great. Yeah. Please feel free to reach out anytime. I love what you're up to. Thank you. Appreciate you. We will let you go for the evening.
And uh, thank you for making time for us. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your show. Oh, we're definitely going to bring you back. Definitely. That's 100%. Okay, Okay, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wasn't she awesome? Wasn't she awesome? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'll be right back, guys. You just sit tight.
right. We got one minute to go before we head to the swamp. And of course, I pull my phone cord out of the wall because I apparently love doing that. And of course, we got to play the USB game where it doesn't want to go in. So you turn it around, it doesn't go in. Then you turn it around again, and it comes in. Look who it is. Look at that chest hair. Look at that chest oh, hair. Oh, man. You, what are you doing? Hold on. You, you, you honestly you honestly think you're going to pop in, and, I, and I'm not going to look? Look at that chest hair. You, how often do you shave that There's thing? Nothing. I don't have chest hair, dude. You weren't supposed to... <laughs> I just get off the phone with you, and I want to get in the private chat so I can tell you I love you, and and you come back on there before my phone actually look. My phone still shows you not in your chair. Uh huh. You got and, you got fifteen. So you got fifteen seconds. I love you. You're amazing. Rock on, my man. It'll be a good show. Love you, buddy. Take care. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Here we go with our number three. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio. TalkStream Live and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Jocko Sirius. Jocko Sirius is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on once again with hour number three, which means we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. My wife is what you would call a spiritual person. She's had encounters with spirits and demons so often that she's lost count from as young as two or maybe even younger than that. She has also had a ton of near-death experiences, some were due to abuse by her parents. For example, they used to force her outside in nothing but a t-shirt and underwear when it was snowing. I don't know if you know much about hypothermia, but in the latter stages you begin to feel warm. So warm it's like you're burning up so you'd start to shed all of your clothing. It's common for people who get lost in the wilderness to shed their clothing just before dying of hypothermia. 
My wife got to the stage at least one to two separate occasions, and even stated that each time she did, she saw a robed man in a dark hood walking around nearby through the snow. She's always believed that it was the Lady of Death. Anyway, those weren't the only times she's had near-death experiences. She also had asthma as a child, and often had asthma attacks that were so bad she would have to be rushed to the emergency room. Many times, she's lost consciousness and remembers floating outside of her body. She's also had many concussions due to abuse and fights with other children. But honestly, it's a miracle she survived all those experiences. My point in telling you all this is that having so many near-death experiences caused her to develop supernatural abilities after a while. I won't tell you about all of them, just the only one important to the story. The ability to protect herself and those she loves from dark and evil forces. I won't say how, but she's put up a shield around us to keep us safe. I guess you can compare it to a place that has a ward. Now that you have essential background, let me get on to the story itself. So due to some unfortunate circumstances, my wife and I were going through a rough time and we thought it might help if we tried to turn to God. We started going to church and whatnot and she thought she'd try just relying on God for protection instead of on her abilities and the safety of the spiritual friends she has made over the years. Unfortunately, this only opened us up to all kinds of attacks. Not only were we no longer protected, but now demons could possess my wife at will at any time. This became terrifying for me. I remember so many times that it was hard to narrow down that she had become possessed. I do not have spiritual abilities as she does. I have developed the ability to see spirits after I've been with my wife for long enough. I guess that's just a perk of being in this situation. I'm sure it's great for some people, but it isn't ideal when you have to deal with it so often, you know? I remember one time being on the bed with my wife and my wife suddenly lost consciousness. Then she woke up and spoke, but the voice that she was speaking with was not hers. It was impossibly deep. I was petrified. Her eyes had a look of rage in them. The demon told me he wanted to take my wife and use her for his evil doing, and I told him that there was no way I would let that happen, that my wife belonged to Jesus. The demon laughed at me and said they had been there for my wife when no one else was, and had protected her and helped her when no one else would. That demon said my wife belonged to them and they would collect her before long. I told them again that I would not let them and began to chant, leave in Jesus' name, which made it laugh harder. I kept chanting and praying until the laughter turned to choking sounds, and then the demon reached out with my wife's hand, grabbed me by the throat, and attempted to stop me from speaking. It put another hand over my mouth to stop me from talking, but I kept chanting, leave in Jesus' name, while also trying to keep breathing. It was challenging, but the demon didn't have enough strength to cut off my oxygen completely, so I could keep going. Eventually, the devil was gone and my wife collapsed once again. After regaining my breath, I shook my wife until she woke up and told her about everything that went down. She was horrified when I explained it all to her. She didn't remember any of it. I had many more experiences like this one. I even had a few of the demons throw me on the ground before. Eventually, my wife and I decided that Christianity was not for us, and she went back to protecting herself and accepting the help of her spirit friends. We don't get attacked anymore. Ever. It's been lovely since we returned to the way things were before. These aren't the only spiritual experiences we have had together, but it's one story I'll never forget. Alright, we say thank you to our good friend Swamp Dweller for coming on in and hitting us with another strange, spooky story. You can hear thousands of Swamp Dweller stories by going to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, as Swamp Dweller comes in here every Monday through Friday night to kick off hour number three. And with that, we're going to go from the Swamp to the Cryptid Report. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here for you now. 
Yeah, Superduke from World Bigfoot Radio joins us a couple times a week to go over the cryptid report of the monsters among us and Big Duke. We always say a big thank you for you coming on in here to join us. And, and I hope you had a memorable birthday a couple of nights ago with us. Uh, yeah, that was lots of fun. That was the fun of my, my birthday. The rest of it was dreadfully boring, which was great because boring is better than drama. So really enjoyed the boring. Excellent. Excellent. You know, up here, the snow keeps getting deeper to the point where we can't get to our gifting. You site. too. Yeah. It's snowing every damn day here for two months. Oh, sick of it. oh my goodness. Oh my, I did see sunshine today. I did see nice. sunshine, and this weekend it's supposed to. Uh, the temperature is supposed to drop to a balmy minus thirty degrees Celsius, mm. Mm, which is fun. Frigorific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> That's how many degrees cold in the inside of a refrigerator for the benefit of those who live down south and don't know what cold is. Yeah. So when I see my friends down in Texas. You know, or Arizona, or New Mexico, or Nevada, or California claim it's cold. Come to my house. Come to my house, just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. When you when you spit and your spit freezes and snaps in midair before it hits the ground, then it's cold. Yes, yes. You know, I would say you know, and if you're in America, go to North Dakota or Minnesota, and really enjoy the winter. The northern part of Minnesota. I can vouch for that. It's subarctic hellhole there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What do the cryptids do during the winter here, Duke? Well, I think the smart ones take a portal and go to Hawaii, but I'm not sure about that whatsoever. I think it's like in most of the colder parts of the world where the the cryptids are around, if they're around very much, they're probably underground when it's really cold because very temperature-controlled underground. You know, you're talking around like 50 or upper 40s. And very nice. Keeps you from freezing. Don't even need fire. It's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce. Crispy creakle-cut fries and garlicky buttered Texas toast. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Cane's and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate an enduring tradition with kith and kin and hand-battered cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce. It's good. It's good. And introducing... Drumroll, please. Flush puppies that benefit local pet organizations and the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hey. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Canes and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> if this tastes half as good as it looks, you're in for a real treat. And, you know, any any place where... You'll, you'll notice a big overlap between if you take a map of where known cave systems are in the U.S. and then you overlay it with a map of specifically Bigfoot sightings, it matches almost perfectly. Hmm. So do you think that the cryptids, in order to stay warm, that maybe they're, they're deep into their underground caves or bunkers or something along those lines in order to kind of... Uh, stay warm like do they make fire you know how are they you know dealing with the winter treachery well robin and a couple other researchers that talked to them have found out they do know what fire is they just don't use it very often they don't need it for heat um december 16th which would be a day from now back in 2015 
we were doing recon down on the Blackfoot River, and we had a Sasquatch in the river in the middle of the night. And uh, my my buddy that was camping there with me went down and spotted it and scared the living hell out of him. But uh, <clears throat> it was down there turning over rocks for, I don't know, crayfish, clams, something or another. And this river is so brutally cold that you don't even want to jump into it in August when it's 100 degrees. You jump right back out again. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it was around 18, 20 degrees at the time. And the only reason the river wasn't frozen over is because fast flowing. All the, you know, the bank sides of it on both sides were frozen. But he was down there for about 45 minutes, slipping over rocks, face down in the water. Didn't seem to affect him at all. So their concept of what is cold and our concept of what is cold are two completely different things. Although the northern Canadian researchers that I've talked to say that their activity drops off a lot when it gets down much below zero or minus 10 Fahrenheit. They don't move around very much. Right. So are they hibernating? No, they're just going underground. I mean, it's like us. It's too cold to stay indoors. Right. Right. That makes sense. That makes uh, total sense. Duke, you always got some sort of a cool story for us, and we got you till the bottom of the hour here, which is about 11 minutes away. What do you got for us tonight? Well, tonight I thought I'd share uh, some of my stories. Sure. Uh, I don't know if I shared them on here before or not, and if I did, well, here's a refresher. And this was back in the days before I became Duke Shack, the Night Stalker, when I was just a little kid, and these are the first two encounters that I ever had that made me realize that, yes, Virginia, there are monsters out there, and you need to watch your butt when you're out in the woods. So my first one, and, you know, this is, again, when I was just a little kid. I was 10 years old. This is 1972. This is way before I had, I had become a roving reporter for the independent news service, doing cryptid research and developing my uh, telepathetic abilities because I'm not empathic and I don't have any psychic abilities whatsoever except for my telepathetic ability which is i can automatically tell when somebody's really pathetically lame or a poser and uh, i can smell bs artist immediately but other than that i have no abilities whatsoever so how i how i ended up getting into this when all of these super sensitives and mostly females are the ones that are getting most of the activity i don't know but anyway so here i am i'm a little kid it's 10 years old and uh, you know, what do kids do when you're 10 years old in northern Minnesota and you're not stuck indoors? Well, you go sledding or skiing or ice skating or something like that. And we were into sledding and we were always looking for another sledding hill, bigger, taller, steeper, more dangerous. And boy, did we hit the jackpot. We went down this one, uh, well, it was a fire lane basically that ran right next to adjacent to our property. It went out about two miles plus out into the woods and then it just dead end they didn't continue making the fire lane because there was about 100 yards of swamp on the far side of it so even if they had made a fire lane they couldn't get vehicles across it what's the point so it just stopped right there and after that there had been somebody had made a snowmobile trail that connected up to it so there was sort of a path you could walk that went around the slough and in a completely different direction because you couldn't get across it. Well, we came out there with our sleds and we went, you know what, that looks like a pretty steep hill on the other side of that slough and it's frozen solid now. It's the middle of winter. I bet if we uh, use our sleds and just kind of lay down on our nice long plastic sleds and paddle like we're on a surfboard that we can actually push our way across this berry bog and get to the other side. 
sure enough, it was frozen solid enough that we could do that. We went over to the far side of it, went up to the top, trudge, trudge, trudge to the top of this really steep hill, got to the top of it and went, wow, there's another really steep hill on top of this really steep hill. Trudge, 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 trudge. Finally got up to the top of that one. And keep in mind, we're little kids. This is like waist-deep snow, right? We finally get up to the top of this, and we're like, this is going to be so awesome. No, there's another hill on top of that one. Well, okay. How high does this thing go? This is already way bigger than our our nearby uh, sledding and skiing hill that we know about that everybody else knows about. And, I mean, yeah, it's dangerous because there's trees all over it, but we know what luge runs are. We can make supers. We'll make a luge run. So trudge, 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 we go up to the third big hill on the top there, and sure enough, that's the top of it. And up there, all there is is a big black spruce and a whole bunch of hardwoods that are completely denuded because it's winter. So we spent uh, probably about two hours out there making this luge run and then just leaving it set so it would harden, and we went back home. And sure enough, we didn't get to come back that week because there was brutal cold snap. And the county next door to us had an all-time record low of minus 52 Fahrenheit, not including wind chill. We weren't allowed to go outside. So the following weekend, when it warmed all the way up to minus 20 Fahrenheit, then we got to go outside. So guess what? By then, that luge run was really hard. (laughs) It was very Olympic level at that point. It was like concrete walking up it. You weren't leaving any footprints on it. So we went, okay, we can get a really good fast run down this thing. Let's do it. So we trudged and sledded way back out into the woods, across the berry bog, up to the top of the hill. And now it's so solid and it's so cold and there's only the two of us out there. And we're dumb, but we're not stupid. So we go, okay, let's take turns going down this thing. So in case one of us wipes out and gets wrapped around a tree, the other one will be alive to throw him on a sled and drag him back again. Okay. This sounds like a good precaution. So I went up to the top first, and I did a slow. I had Dave, my buddy, about halfway down, like somewhere in between the the middle of the second hill, basically. So you'd go down the first hill, and then you'd turn, and you'd go flying down the second hill, and you'd turn and go down the bottom hill into the bog. And he was halfway down in case I wiped out. (laughs) He could see it from either angle. So I made it down. I wasn't going that fast. I was dragging my arms and legs trying to slow down get down to the bottom, don't go very far out into the berry bog because I'm trying to slow down. And then as I'm getting up, he's walking up the hill from halfway up. So he's up at the top. I get halfway up. I'm in position. Give him, give him the yell, go, Dave. Dave comes down. He makes it fine. Then we repeat process. The second time, we're going to go out pretty fast. That's the plan. So that all works out fine. And then finally, it's time for the high-speed test. This is a good time for it. So I get to be, since I was the first one, I go up to the top and I get to do the first high-speed test. Dave's in position halfway down. And I put my sled down and I'm getting ready to turn around and go down this super steep hill. And I realize something behind me doesn't look right. And uh, Dave, actually, I got a picture of this. I sent you on MeWe if you want to pull that up so everybody else can see it. But this is the uh, first time I ever saw anything. Again, I'm 10 years old and it's colder and bleep it's about two o'clock in the afternoon it's nice and bright sunny day so you can see everything perfectly clear and uh what i saw got made into a a logo that i used to use for my channel the really good uh rendition of it but anyway so i'm up there and all of a sudden i realized behind me things don't look the way they did the last two times i was up there and i'm trying to picture what's different and all it is up there is just you know 
hardwood trees with no leaves on them or anything and a few little scrubby bushes same thing you can see right through everything except for this black spruce which is really big and something's out of place i can't pick it out so i turn around i'm about to go down the hill and then i just have this like don't turn your back on it sort of feeling and i turned back around and i looked again and <clears throat> the next time that i turned and looked because again something out of place i realized that black spruce uh had three trunks on it and when i had come up there the two times before it only had one trunk on it and these two additional trunks also had grayish hair with little dingle ball snowballs in them so then I figured it was one of my friends or somebody with snow pants because they did actually have hairy snow pants at that time. That was something you could buy. And the other kids had found our super awesome sledding run and we were busted and they were all going to show up. Oh, God, this is going to be horrible now. So I was just ready for one of them to say something smart to me. And I looked up to about where a face would be on the tree. And there wasn't. But I did notice movement about three feet up above that. So about nine feet up in the tree with one hand holding the branches up and the other one holding a branch down, peeking in between them, there's the face that you're seeing on the screen right now. He does not look friendly. And the first thing, when he notices that I see him, he gets a surprised look on his face for about half a second. Then he gives me the grin that you're seeing on the screen. Now, at that point, I figure it's my cue to break the world's land speed record on the luge run, dive onto my sled, and proceed to do just that. Dave, about halfway down, even though he knows I'm pretty crazy and foolhardy, uh, could definitely tell something's wrong at the speed that I'm coming down. Because I'm not trying to slow myself down at all. And uh, as I go past him, uh, my face is, you know, pretty pale and my eyes are pretty bulgy. And I yelled, go like hell, as I flew past him. So without even asking questions or anything, apparently he did just that. I was going so fast by the time I hit the bottom of the hill at the berry bog the momentum carried me almost all the way across it and this thing is like you know the width of a football field so i was going really fast when i hit the bottom didn't care i would have been just happy to wrap around a tree rather than having that thing catch me whatever it was so <clears throat> finally when i got to the, the bottom i just ran as fast as i could dragging my little sled behind me until i got back adjacent to where my folks house was and then i waited for dave to catch up which took about another 20 minutes and uh, that was my first encounter. I, I really like, uh, for people on radio who can't see this photo of a Sasquatch, it looks very, very evil. I really love the great white shark teeth that it had. Yeah, that's not a Sasquatch. That's kind of the whole point. Whatever that thing is, is not a Sasquatch. It also does not look like a Gugwe because it has no snout. And the fingertips had black um eagle looking talons for, for fingernails oh my gosh duke which again that's like bigfoot doesn't have that you're not supposed to, anthropoids aren't supposed to have that um the teeth on it on the illustration aren't exactly right either they're actually a little bit shorter and a little bit wider they look like teeth on a great white shark it looked like a bear trap well i gotta ask you in regards to have you ever seen a creature like that since Never. But since that illustration was done, I've had two people in other parts of the country that have run into those things that have come on my show and done the reports of what happened. Both of them were chased out. Both of them were fortunate to have very fast vehicles, and both of them had them pursue them up to about 45 miles an hour. As soon as they were able to go faster than that, they lost them. Holy cow. 
Holy cow. I mean, that just adds to these incredible legends, Duke, where, you know, I'm like when I get into the Dave 101 next, it's going to be like, why do we have troubles believing? There's going to be a lot of people who say, oh, Duke, you know, what were you on? You know, how much did you have to drink? Well, you know, I was 10 years old and zero. And here's these well, two other people in other parts of the country that reported the same damn thing. They came to me because they went, where'd you get that picture? I saw that. Yeah. Duke, tell everybody where they can find uh, World Bigfoot Radio. Oh, you can find me over on all the cool places and, and YouTube as well. I'm also on BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey, Bright Eon. I have two support groups on Facebook, Montana Bigfoot Project and World Bigfoot Radio. And I also have World Bigfoot Central over on the no ads, no censoring actual social media platform me we come on over we have a blast over there all right buddy duke uh we always appreciate you coming on in we will talk to you next week super duke from world bigfoot radio go hit subscribe on his channels well worth the information well worth it he's got great hair too coming up next on the dave 101 why can't we believe why can't we trust what people are seeing out in the sky, in the stars, in their own homes. We'll get to it next. All right, Super Duke. Super Duke. Super Duke. Yepper, yepper, yepper. Mr. Smiley worries me because that's an example of we cannot clearly define what that thing is. And there seems to be some other thing, subarctic into uh, northern U.S. that looks like that. And the other reports that came out, uh, out with just about a year in between them, there were reports of, this, of other people seeing the same damn thing. And it was over on the Dakotas and Minnesota border. There were several reports of it. And uh, finally, it ended up being right on the Sioux Reservation. And, you know, they know all about Bigfoot. They're not worried about Bigfoot. Well, when this thing showed up, all of a sudden they shut down the reds. Nobody's going out at night. When anybody is going out, there's armed patrols with high-powered rifles going around the reds to keep an eye out and chase this thing away for like a week and a half. That's not normal. This isn't Bigfoot. And the other thing is in my my uh, incident and in the other incidents further south and west of me in the following years, one thing that held true in every single one of these, it was during a brutal cold snap. It was at least 20 below when all these sightings happened. Right. Right. I mean, that cold, man. I mean, that's some thick fur right there. Well, and, you know, there's a story about Wendigo Lake in Minnesota where that Wendigo supposedly got trapped on an island during the summer and was trapped there until everything froze over what they were calling a Wendigo and could walk across the ice back off the lake again the following winter. Well, there's some sort of Northern horror and this may be where this Wendigo name keeps getting mixed up that apparently can't swim. Water impedes them. The only time they're free to move around is when it's frozen solid and they can walk on it. Sasquatch swim like, you know, fish water didn't slow them down at all, but apparently these things can't swim for whatever reason. So my theory, they're coming from up in Canada, buddy, and when it's brutally cold enough, they just walk across those nice frozen lakes and go check out new areas with new yummy things to eat. 
You, you know what would be interesting? I would love to hear from a border guard, either on the Canadian or the American oh, side, because what a lot of people don't understand is, yes, we have the largest unguarded border in the world. Okay. But there but are it's under surveillance. They are under surveillance. There is cameras. There is sensors right along that 49th parallel. And they pick up everything. Yep. They do. And I, was I, talking I, to, I, I would love to talk to a Border Patrol guy to see what they've caught on those cameras. I would, too. I got it secondhand from a friend of mine that knows one of them and was asking them specifically about that. And they said, oh, yeah, the Sasquatch walk back and forth across the border all the time. They don't know that it's the border. Well, how can you tell it's them? Well, the heat signature is different and they're gigantic. So we just ignore them, don't report it. Well, better than reporting it. Well, yeah. Who are you going to report it? Yeah, we already know there's Sasquatch crossing the border. We're not supposed to talk about that, eh? Yeah, right. Very much so. You know, do, anything suspicious. Hey, Sasquatch, <laughs> where's your passport? <laughs> you gotta have a passport to cross. Sasquatch is like, I'm a Canadian, eh? <laughs> I'm a Sasquatch. Right. <laughs> Uh, actually, Mike did that one recon up here in uh, northern Montana where the people had property right on the border, and the elk were going back and forth through there, and the Bigfoot were following them, and every so often they'd stop and slap the house or something and scare the humans. And uh, Mike went up there and did the recon and the whole thing, and he said, yeah, they're going back and forth across the border all the time. Obviously, they must know about it. Right. That, I mean, that would be incredible, incredible information for us. It really would. Super Duke, we only got about a minute here, so I'm going to say goodnight to you, my friend. Much love I'm to you. Jet. Appreciate you, my bud. Love you guys. Take care, Dave. And by the way, I'm really sad to hear that you uh, lost a friend because they think you're crazy because oh, yeah. imaginary stuff. But you know what's even worse? I lost a friend because I proved to them that it wasn't imaginary. It gets you there. And then they really didn't want to talk to me because that destroyed their whole worldview. Well... As Sonny and Cher sang, Duke, I got you, Duke. I got you, Duke. <laughs> I'm not crazy, but my camera is. I keep filming cryptids all the time. Damn cryptids. My camera, Damn. Damn cryptids. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. <laughs> See you later, Dave. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio right there. Uh, big thank you tonight to Dr. Steers, Debs Times 2, Blue Cruise, and Catfish for the Super Chats. Very much appreciate the love. We're going to get into the final half hour here in just a couple of seconds. Rounded third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning us on in wherever you are in this beautiful planet we call Earth. Want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash swamp uh, spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. 
Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. You know what? It's that one time of the week that I absolutely love, that I absolutely adore, where I get to yell at you and say, get off my lawn with the Dave 101. enlighten you tonight on the world that we live in when it comes to the paranormal. It's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce, crispy creakle-cut fries, and garlicky buttered Texas toast. Happy, happy, happy Christmas from Raising Cane's and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> It's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce. And introducing the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Cane's and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. Supernatural and cryptids. Maybe throw in a little UFOs there as well. And it is belief. What are we allowed to believe? Why do we get questioned so hard on what we've seen, what we've experienced, and the reactions that we've had to the encounters that we proclaim to be true. Now, in this field of study that we study each and every day, there are charlatans, there are people out there looking for their 5, 10, 15 minutes of fame. But outside of that minority of people who just want a little bit of podcast time, radio time, YouTube time, or television time. There is a plethora of people out there who have had real, true experiences where all they want to know is what is happening to them. However, there are so many critics out there, whether they are skeptics, whether they are non-believers, whether they are just people who are wanting to poo-poo any type of reaction that we have to the phenomena, that are willing to go that extra mile to make sure that they know that you are a fraud because you saw a Bigfoot or you saw a ghost or you saw a UFO. There is way too much of it in this field, and yet I don't really understand why. This field has grown exponentially since the social media realm took over 20 years ago because of people's stories. They wanted to connect to those who had similar or differentiating experiences with those who were maybe studying it. It allowed people to grow together. Sure, there were people out there making things up for book sales, television sales, movies, whatever it may be, conferences, wherever they could maybe make a quick buck. But for the most of us, 
we have had experiences that we cannot explain. We have experiences that have pushed us to the limits where it's cost us friends, it's cost us jobs, it's cost us time, it's cost us a little bit of everything, even a little bit of who we are. When you have an experience with something supernatural or something that's a part of the phenomena, it changes you. And sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's not. What do you mean by this, Dave? Well, let me explain. When you have something standing right in front of you that is not supposed to exist, yet your own two eyes are seeing it. It changes you because it opens up your mind to what else could be out there. I remember the first time I encountered Sasquatch. I was very excited. I called my dad up and I said, Dad, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And he's like, what? I said, my buddy and I were out in the forest behind his yard and we saw two Sasquatch. No, you didn't. Yes, Dad, I did. No, you didn't. Don't tell me that crap. I got no time for that crap. And I said, Dad, why the hell would I call you saying that I did if I didn't? And it led to a few expletives with me eventually hanging up the phone because I was so angry that my own father wouldn't believe me. Look, there are going to be people who don't believe in what we do. But it's even worse when the people you love, you trust, tell you you didn't see what you see. It's heartaching. It's gut-wrenching. And it hurts deep down to the core where you never forget that pain. It's emotional. It's traumatic. Then you have to deal with the online skeptics. Show me proof. Give me the proof of what you saw. Where's the photograph? You have an iPhone with you. You got a smartphone. Why didn't you take a picture of it? Well, number one, I wasn't prepared for it. Number two, by the time I pulled out my phone, it was gone. Ah, you didn't see anything. I've heard that story a million times, and I don't need to hear that story anymore. Who's had that happen to them? Probably all of us who've had a strange encounter or experience. But why the negativity that goes along with it? Why do we have to be so curt and so trite to people that when we have an experience of something phenomenal, that we can't share it with people? Why? Well, there's a number of reasons. Number one, maybe they're scared. Okay, those who are not involved in this field have a real fear of what we are doing. We are dealing with nightmares, people. It may not be a nightmarish situation, but we are dealing with things that go bump in the night that scare people. This is right out of a suspense horror movie type of phenomena. Whether it's having a monster lurk around you in the forest like Sasquatch or Dogman, whether it's waking up and seeing a ghost in your house or gray aliens getting ready to take you, whether it's a UFO that seems to be hovering over where you are, and the next thing you know, it's four hours later. These things are happening. These things are real. These things are all a part 
of learning what the phenomena is all about. And slowly but surely, the phenomena is bringing us more and more experiencers. And the beautiful part about it is, as this topic becomes more mainstream, more and more people will feel more comfortable coming out of the woodwork and talking about it whether it's mainstream or whether they hide behind a nickname on a YouTube channel. People want to learn. People want to know what is going on. This is why it's important that we at Spaced Out Radio keep expanding because we want to open up to those markets to allow people to make sure that they know they have a comfortable spot where they aren't going to be called crazy. They aren't going to be called nuts. And most importantly, they're not going to be called liars for telling a fib of what they encountered. Yes, this could be a cruel, cruel field, but it's filled with the majority of honest, good-intentioned people who really want to figure out why them. Nobody asks for the phenomena to happen. Nobody asks to see UFOs. Nobody asks to go up on a spaceship and look beside them, and there's their children. Nobody asks to encounter Sasquatch. Nobody asks to live in a haunted house or work at a haunted property. Nobody asks for a near-death experience or all of a sudden having out-of-body experiences or premonitions or anything to go along with anything that would be considered weird by the mainstream. It changes you because it now gives you a direction of where you need to look. It makes things like the hockey game on TV or the latest football game, the World Cup, which isn't a sport anyways, okay, or maybe watching your favorite television show. It makes it all irrelevant. Look, guys, I used to be a sports reporter where I knew knew every player that was going to be drafted into the NHL. I knew their stats. I knew where they played junior or whether they played college. I knew everything. Ask me to name a brand new hockey player today. I can't because I gave it up. I gave up something that was extremely important to me in order to learn about all of this because this became all-encompassing. It became part of who I am. It was like it invaded my veins and my blood system and pushed right through everything that I needed to learn about the phenomena and what was going on around me. Many of you are like that too. I used to be a very extroverted person, having parties at my house or get-togethers almost every weekend because I wanted that house where everybody felt comfortable, that if somebody needed to to uh, have a few extra drinks, they had a place to crash for the night. That was my house. Now, I'm introverted. Don't trust people fully, because one thing I've learned since turning this corner into the unknown, it's hard to trust and take people at their words, because somebody out there, just wants to bring you down for what you believe in. Case in point, let's go to our own community. Where on this show, we have had critics who come into our chat room or come in to make comments on social media or write these terrible blogs about what we do and the guests that we have. There is no proof. You can't sit there and say that you're in communication with aliens. That's not right. Our Keith Andrews, one of our favorite guests, takes a lot of that heat. 
because people don't understand what it's like to be in R. Keith's shoes. And the point of this show, and it's always been part of our mantra, is we believe everybody because I, nor you, have ever stood in every person's shoes. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with belief. Now, many who preach science in the scientific community will disagree with that. But you know what? They have no idea what proof is either. They really don't. That's how I counter the argument when people say, show me proof. What is proof? Show me what proof is. Is it a photo? Can't trust that. Can be photoshopped. Is it a video? Can't trust that because editing programs today are so accurate that you're not going to be able to tell unless you look digitally inside. CGI is too good today where even the basic 11-year-old can create CGI that looks all too real. Never mind us old fossils like me who sit here and struggle to put a 10-second video together. It takes us four hours. This is the truth. The question is, what is proof? They don't believe the scratches. They don't believe the scoop marks. They don't believe the red spots on the skin where it looks like someone or something was grabbing you and holding you down. They don't want to believe that. That could be caused by anything. So my question to all of the skeptics out there is, what is proof? You don't believe anecdotal evidence, even though it is still the top evidence. And none of them, none of them will give you an answer as to why anecdotal evidence can put someone away at for in prison for life or the death penalty in the United States or elsewhere. Yet, when it comes to UFOs, cryptids, ghosts, nobody accepts it. Can't accept it. The, the, the mind is, is not trustworthy. The eyes and the memory are not trustworthy. Well, we have other witnesses. Doesn't matter. You're not, your story's not trustworthy. So if we can't trust a person's word, can't trust video, we can't trust audio, we can't trust photographic evidence, how the hell are we going to prove anything? So I ask you again, Mr. Skeptic, what is proof? How do we prove that this is something that is going on if you don't want to believe what is going on? See, that's where the skeptics fail. That's where they get a little upset. Well, there's been people in prison who wrongfully, because of anecdotal evidence of eyewitness testimony. True. True. But if you got two people, four people, eight people, 20 people saying the exact same thing, then you have something different. This community needs to open its eyes. It needs to learn about itself. It needs to start accepting a little bit more. Acceptance will never hurt us. It may push us further, but you still have to watch out for the people who are seeking that 15 minutes of fame, no matter if they're researchers or experiencers. That is your Dave 101. Do me a favor, leave a comment below. Let me feel, uh, if you watch this on YouTube, let me feel what you're thinking. I want to know. Leave a comment. All right, let's get to the news. What? 
It's time for Shirky Poo's News! Oh yes, let's get to the news right off the bat here. The internet sensation going on down in Texas where a football player has shocked the internet. He looks about 30, but he's only 12. Jeremiah Johnson from Fort Worth has users picking up their jaws and eyeballs from the floor after a photo of the preteen posing with his MVP award went viral, complete with facial hair, a deep baritone, and what appeared to be a half-sleeve tattoo, not to mention his size. People were in denial that Johnson is still a child. Johnson plays for the Dallas Dragons Elite Academy, which won the championship game. Yeah, his trophy read... 12U Division One Most Valuable Player, but the internet wasn't convinced. 12th grade wrote one, while the second person had 12 going on 21. Another, he got a leap year birthday. Meanwhile, others refused to believe that Johnson was not yet in high school and was actually a grown man. Yeah. Bro looked like he got a job, a wife, and two kids, one person added. Another joked, young and birth certificate says of 12, it blew crayon, with his senior graduation pick, Miami Dolphins receiver Tyreek Hill tweeted, If that 12-year-old really is 12, my son's not playing football. These kids are built different. Now Johnson is five foot 11, 198 pounds, can play running back, defensive end, and outside linebacker, according to uh, his statistics. His bio also adds that he'll be eligible for college in 2027. Johnson's monther, Shanna, Took to Facebook to clear things up, and yes, people, her son is 12. Yes, he's 12U. He meets all the requirements. She wrote, no, the tattoo isn't real, duh, but the goatee is, though. Okay, let's move on here. Here's a scary one. Hmm, this this one really freaks me out. A hungry, hungry hippopotamus managed to gobble up a two-year-old boy who was playing at his house in Uganda. The hippo snatched the child head first, and what would have uh, would have kept going, except a man who witnessed the entire thing managed to save the boy by throwing stones at the animal. The startled hippo then regurgitated the infant and retreated to a nearby lake that sits on the border between Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Lake Edward and attacked a, uh, and attacked a young child. Oh, pardon me. This is the first such kind incident where a hippo strayed out of Lake Edward and then attacked a young child, said the Ugandan police force in a statement, warning that those who live near the animal sanctuaries and habitats should be vigilant as wild animals see humans as a threat and any interaction could cause them to act strangely or aggressively. They added, we want to remind all residents of the area, which is located within the Queen Elizabeth National Park, to remain vigilant and always alert rangers about animals that have strayed into their neighborhoods. The child was rushed to hospital where he was treated for minor injuries and vaccinated against rabies. His parents now have him back home. Hippos are the third largest land mammals in the world after elephants and white rhinoceroses. According to National Geographic, hippos are vegetarians, but their deadly strength makes them one of Africa's most dangerous animals. It's estimated that hippopotamuses kill around 500 people Every single year. 
The World Cup only comes around every four years, and if you live in Dave's world, it should come around maybe once every 40 years. Some, some sports fans forgot what soccer really looks like, even though soccer isn't a sport in my world, or maybe video game graphics. Is this being what, what's happening? Some people believe this year's World Cup, played out of Qatar, has been one giant video game. Because the video games are becoming very realistic. A Vietnamese outlet says YouTubers can make thousands of dollars by luring people in with the video game trick. They use poor quality images so viewers think they're getting just a low quality stream. And that's what's happening on the outside of the World Cup. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Wow. That's your news. I don't got anything more. That's just weird and odd about what's going on in the world. Could you imagine being swallowed up by a hippo? I mean, they have a crushing force with their jaw at like over 4,000 pounds. Something along that line. I mean, they can bite crocodiles in half. A two-year-old? How the hell did that child survive? Absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. By the way, I want to say a big thank you to Super Duke for coming on in for the Cryptid Report, Swamp Dweller for the big story tonight, and Sarah K. Grace talking about paranormal paramedics. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, Spreaker, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. It's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate with chicken fingers and cane sauce, crispy creakle-cut fries, and garlicky buttered Texas toast. Hap, hap, happy Christmas from Raising Cane's and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned Griswold family Christmas at Raising Cane's. There it is. Celebrate an enduring tradition with kith and kin <laughs> and hand-battered cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce. It's good. And introducing drumroll, please. Flush puppies that benefit local pet organizations, and the gift cards that keep on giving the whole year. Hey, 
Hap Hap Happy Christmas from Raising Cane's and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. One love. <laughs> if this tastes half as good as it looks, you're in for a real treat.